for nothing burgers in the United States, and World Superbikes was not going to miss out. Welcome to Bike Life. Let's go! Yes, it's a warm welcome to Bike Live episode 21 here on Motorsport 101 as we look back on a weekend of not a lot in the United States as uh, Jonathan Ray and Chaz Davis took a victory apiece and Tom Sykes took a pole position. Very formulaic in the world of World Superbikes. We will look back on all of the action, which won't take an awful lot of time, we have to say, um, as Jonathan Ray strengthened his grip on the World Superbike Championship for a third consecutive year, and Chaz Davies proved that he is the Iron Man of World Superbikes, winning on his return from that horrendous injury he sustained at Misano. We'll also look on all, look back on all the other big stories of Laguna Seca as Yamaha went missing and Honda endured another weekend from hell stateside, even if the American debutant score points. Jake Gagne making a name for himself at Laguna last weekend. We'll also look at all the news from the week. Again, there wasn't an awful, awful lot of that. Although, one of our favourite riders here on Bike Live now finds himself on the unemployed list. We'll tell you all about that a little bit later on. And we will cast our eyes on the season as a whole with our half-term report of World Superbikes in 2017. All of that over the next couple of hours with myself, Lewis Sudderby and Andre Harrison. Welcome, Dre. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Pleasure to be with you again, as always. Um, sadly, we're going to be doing a lot of time fitting to make this work. We apologize in advance. It just happens on this show sometimes. We're bringing forward our Motorsport 101 experience of somehow going two hours despite nothing actually happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that is that is one of those weekends. Yeah, we, we, We've made a name for ourselves, really, at filling time when um, it was thought an impossible task. Uh, this is going to be our greatest test yet, I think, this week. Um, on Bike Live, at least. Um, although, having said that, um, Motorsport 101 outdid itself this weekend, even though it did have stuff to talk about with the Austrian Grand Prix um, and IndyCar in Action 2. Um, a marathon, two hours, 39 minutes edition of Motorsport 101, Dre, episode 94. Tell the listeners that haven't heard it yet what they can expect. Um, waffling. A, a, <laughs> a lot of, of waffling. Um, yeah, looking back, I still don't know how we went, like, the best part of 160 minutes. Um, until 4am editing that thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I thought we, I thought I'd make up for last week. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, it, it was a pretty heap show. It was me, Ryan King, and Zoe Hamilton who gets a hat trick ball for a third appearance. Um, it's in the mail, uh, as with all the other ones we've sent out. But um, yeah, we talked about obviously the Austrian Grand Prix and whether Valtteri jumped the start. He didn't. Whether Dre was pissed off at the Valtteri Bottas jump in the start. He was. <laughs> and the Iowa Corn 300 as well in IndyCar. As Helio Castroneves got to climb the catch fence for the first time in over three years, even though he might be losing his job by going to the Penske Sports Car Program, because of course. Um, so all of that and an absolutely heaping great wad of news, given we talked about the F1 Live Expo, which I saltily wasn't at because it was only given on 24 hours notice, you bastards! Yeah. Uh, I wasn't mad about that at all. Um, that the British Grand Prix potentially being cancelled, um, Sauber potentially dropping Honda, all like a whole metric ton of news um, on their heads 
probably the reason why we went so long in the first place. But uh, check all of that out on episode 94 of Motorsport 101, which will definitely be out by the time you've listened to this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that is uh, available on SoundCloud for now. Um, SoundCloud.com forward slash Motorsport 101. If you've been following us on Zealand, you'll understand that <laughs> reference. Um, watch this space. Um, other places you can find us, Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Uh, if you want to follow us personally, at Lewis Sotheby 23 at Harrison101HD. And um, in between her many, many work shifts, it's at Beck underscore J93 for Rebecca James. Um, you can also uh, find us um, on our website, motorsport101.net. Um, you can find plenty of written content and blogs on there. Um, on YouTube, where our Google Hangouts are found, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. And if you like us so much that you want to back us financially, you can do so on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, uh, where if you do back us on there, you will earn yourself early access um, to Motorsport 101 and indeed to Bike Live. So get yourself over there. Um, right, World Superbikes headed stateside last weekend, and um, Showtime arrived at around... One o'clock local time on Saturday afternoon. But much like Conor McGregor, World Superbike said, fuck show time. We're going to do absolutely nothing to entertain the viewers uh, last weekend. Tom Sykes started the weekend, as Tom Sykes often does, by taking pole position. Uh, his third in a row. Um, but that was about as good as it got for Tom Sykes. Um, Dre, because in race one, having led the first half of it, um, we kind of... It was a bit of a tease of a race, wasn't it? Because we looked like we were mm. going to get a brilliant three-way scrap between the three star names, essentially, in World Superbike, Sykes, Ray, and Davis. Um, but Chaz Davis basically blew a hole in the race with a ballsy move at the top of the corkscrew, which really put pay to Sykes' attempts of a victory. Yeah, you really wouldn't think it was a fortnight since Charles, Chaz Davis's last ride. And this obviously was his first race back. But he broke his but- back. When he broke his back, and as a result of that nasty um, accident at Misano, uh, fortnight prior, and again, Chaz was he was not even declared fit until the Thursday before the weekend started. Um, so yeah, it was a bit touch and go for Chaz on this one, but he was, but he be rode like he like he hadn't been injured at all, really. Um, you're right. It was a tease of a race. It was a race where Tio Tom was comfortable at the front for the first half of it. You know, wasn't really under any threat. And I thought it was going to play out a lot like we've seen in previous years at Laguna Seca, where you know the guy in the front can can block his way to victory because Laguna Seca traditionally is a, is a difficult track to pass around. But uh, Chaz Davis was like, "Stop that noise! Uh, I'm going to dive bomb the crap out of you at the corkscrew," which is just. Um, so reckless, I would almost consider it foolhardy. But um, yeah, um, brilliant, brilliant pass from Jazz Davis. Jonathan Ray pounced, took, took full advantage. It's almost like Jonathan saw it coming because he was in the perfect place to, to capitalise on on Tom being offline through the corkscrew as a result of um, barreling red-rimmed Ducati, um, basically. Um, so yeah, it was, it, that was your key moment of the race. Chaz Davis, you know, dive bombing the crap out of it at the corkscrew. Brilliant pass. Tom didn't have an answer for Chaz on pace. Jonathan took the second place and Jonathan never really got close enough to, to, to even have a go really at Chaz. And, you know, Chaz takes a comfortable victory in the end. His first, uh, his first race back since the injury and, you know, won in very convincing fashion. It was. Tom Sykes has proven in the last couple of years how difficult he is to overtake, not least around Laguna Seca. We saw it in 2015 where Jonathan Ray basically followed him around in both races to finish third with Sykes in second, despite being much quicker. And last year, the two Ducatis tried almost all race in race two to overtake Sykes and couldn't do it. 
um, while they were too busy squabbling amongst themselves. And in the end, it took a block pass. It, it was a block pass at, at the corkscrew for, for Chaz Davies because Tom Sykes was, he saw Chaz come alongside him and you could see a couple of times Sykes wanted to tip it in. He wanted to tip the bike in, but he knew he couldn't because it was going to be an airplane accident if he did. Oh, yeah. And he basically had to let Chaz through and let him get away with it, which obviously put Sykes way out wide and Jonathan Ray took full advantage to snatch second as well. And Sykes gradually just faded as a result of that. It was clear that in clear air, he did not have the pace um, that Ray and, and Davies did once they were released. Um, and Davies ultimately proved too strong for Ray, uh, Dre. And it's, in, in a way, it didn't tell us anything we didn't know before about Chaz Davies because he's won plenty of races in World Superbikes. Um, we can question many, many things about Chaz, his consistency. Um, but one thing we can never question is his bravery. Uh, and he showed it again. Yeah, this, this like I don't want to sound too corny here, but it was a gritty ride from Chaz, given it was his first race back. And Brother Ryan was delighted. Yes. Um, yeah, must... If you listened last week, you'll know why. Um, yeah, Brother Ryan was absolutely... Like, I've never... Like, He's not a big world superbike guy, so, but of course his eyes were glued to race one and he was the most nervous man on earth of about five to go in that one. <laughs> but uh, Chaz brought it home pretty comfortably and I've never seen such emotion out of my brother out of watching a world superbike race ever. Um, bless him. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. This was brave. This was Chaz. I mean, as you said, if Tom Sykes is committed to the apex on that call to that that's probably a horrible accident. Um, and that's the nature of, of, you know, risking your bike in a block pass maneuver like that. But that was the only way Chaz was going to win that race. He had the pace on Tom, but but Laguna Seca is a track where you throw out any talk of pace. I mean, you look at Michael Vandermark. He was one of the fastest guys on track all weekend, but because he was caught in the midfield and he didn't have the legs to pass people, but he suffered as a result of it. He fell down the order. Um, you know, the Yamaha was pretty below par this weekend for, for, for what they normally can achieve. So when, when, when you add all of that up, it was a very, very brave ride for Chaz. And again, as, as, as good a performance as he's had all season long, really, so at least since Imola, where, again, another track where he seems to win quite comfortably. But uh, given the circumstances of his injury, given the opposite, the level of opposition he had in front of him, and given the, the nature of his pass, I think Brave is a very fair subject to to, to use to describe Chaz's performance. Mm, and a good way for, for Ducati to mark the uh, launch of the final edition of the Panigale road bike that they launched at the weekend, and marked it with, with a special livery. Uh, from what motorcycle racing history, Laguna Seca tends to be a go-to round for special liveries. Um, Yamaha will tell yes. you all about that. Um, mm. While we're time-filling, Dre... Um, what do you make of that livery? I have to say, I know it was it was very Italian um, with the colours, but um, I'm kind of glad we're only going to see that once, personally. <laughs> Not a fan? No. It reminded me of that garish Aprilia last year where they, they splashed green all over the front of it. It kind of reminded me of that. It was, almost, it was almost too Italian. Yeah, I was not. I was not like silver and green and doesn't... The, and the red wheels as well. Yeah, like, like... I don't know. Like I have a habit of like... I like when I like when motorcycle companies go a bit extra on their liveries. I'm, I'm flashy. It's 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 part of my nature. I wear caps at work and I wear fancy trainers. It's what I do. So um, I'm I am a tacky son of a bitch when it, uh, at the best of times when it comes to me. So like I wasn't complaining. I thought the red rims were cool. Um, not such a big fan of the, of the red, white, and green on the livery itself. I think if they stuck with the red and the white like they normally do. I think I would have liked it a little bit more. Um, and to be honest with you, Walter Bikes has, a, has got a problem where there is too much red in the entire friggin' paddock at this point. Mm. 
Um, I, I, there was a couple of scenes in the midfield where even Brother Ryan was like, why is every bike red? Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny in its own right. But... Nah, I thought it was. I thought it was about a six out of ten. I I, I like the red rims. I didn't like the uh, the extra white and green on the livery. It doesn't quite work for me. But um, we can, it wasn't we can bad. forgive them. I suppose it was. It was for a special occasion. I say the launch of the right. uh, Pan- Panigale final edition um, that they they launched, and that, that is basically the livery of that bike, um, which yes, is the reason and- they ran. Uh, in those colours. Um, Charles Davies's victory put him ninth on the grid for race two with the Kawasaki's of Ray and Sykes, eighth and seventh. And we all sat there, Dre, on Saturday night, looking ahead to Sunday, thinking, well, this is the round. This is the round where overtaking from the third row will be very, very difficult. And maybe someone from that front row will be able to get away with it. It took Kawasaki and Tom Sykes all of four corners to piss on that bonfire. <laughs> Even when Kawasaki are brilliant, they are so <laughs> so bad. Um, yeah, it's it was it was like what's the best way of me describing this? It was like some sort of like brilliant way to like kick out of a bonfire in a camping trip. It was like it was they like, put the game on easy mode or something. Yeah, yeah, it was. They were playing a video game on the lowest difficulty. The way that some sites had gone around the outside of everybody and basically. Um, again, like you say, I think was third by turn two and was leading the race by the end of the lap. And Jonathan Ray, who we all know has been the king of these race twos, these race two starts this season, again, just like Tom, plus six off the opening lap from eighth to second. Um, equally amazing. If you look at the onboard, I think he splits. I think it's Mercado and somebody else off the line. Um, a very, very, um, you know, thin line there. To, to weave his bike through, but he made it work. It was stunning stuff from the Kawasaki's, but I was like, oh, God. Did, did they have to do that so quick? Um, they were like, no, no, we're, we're making no illusions here about us. Like, like it, It's a quote, Lex Luthor, would you like me to remind you of my superiority? Yeah. Basically, um, as, as Kawasaki were one and two by the time the first lap came to it, and I'm just sitting there going, well, crap. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it, the big problem from a... I guess an entertainment standpoint in the race is that both Kawasaki's made such a great start because it was clear of the two, we'd seen that on Saturday, that of the two, Ray was much quicker in clear air. Um, so as and not just me from my Yorkshire standpoint, but as soon as Sykes got through to the lead at turn four, I thought, hey, we've got a race here. Um, Sykes is out front, Ray's still in the pack. And the problem is it was clear that Ray had seen him and Ray decided that he was going to be just as aggressive on that first lap, and by the end of the first lap, he was up to second, outbreak Melandry into the final left-handed hairpin at the end of the lap, and I think that brilliant start that Sykes had made basically earned him 0.7 of a second over Jonathan Ray, and that was, <laughs> and that was all. Like, he yeah. finally gets it right on the first lap, he finally makes it through the traffic in double quick time, and Jonathan Ray has done exactly the same thing right it's behind like, him. Like, nope. um, but, uh, but what was crucial, I guess, and what really decided the race if we're looking at Ray and Davies as the two men with race pace, is that Davies couldn't fight his way through, and it took him until around half distance to get the better of Chavi Forez. Yeah, he really struggled getting past Chavi Forez, who was very strong in both races, um, with, with a legitimate grid and the reverse grid. Um, like Chavi was clearly not far off um, where the factory bike was, and we saw that was the hard camera shot for a good few laps as Ray was pulling away into the distance slowly. Uh, Chaz Davis's race was effectively ruined by the satellite team, and which is funny because the big boss of Ducati was in the building. 
If the Minakali was in the building for this one, and he must have been really conflicted seeing Javi Flores there holding up his man, Jazz Davis. That must have been quite conflicting to have a look at there. I was like, well, shit, who do I cheer for here? It's like, great, the satellite rider's up here. Wait, why is that Chaz behind him? Um, so, yeah, probably not ideal, to say the least. Um, but, yeah. Like, I think he was yeah. probably, he's also probably busy uh, using the eraser to Akam Alandri's name on his 2018 contract after taking pole and falling back through the field. <laughs> Um, uh, in, in that second race as well. We'll come on to him in a moment. Um, but, but Jonathan Ray easing away to win that second race. And um, what can we say about this guy? It hasn't already been said. I mean, the, the last two rounds uh, of the World Championship have seen his lead decrease um, for a couple of reasons, mainly um, bad luck. Um, the incident, notable incident coming down the Karina Curves where his tyre came off the rim in race one at Donington. And then the incident that we all... Uh, remember from the final lap of race one at Mizano with Chaz Davies that have seen him lose points and end up losing 20-odd points to, to Tom Sykes over the last two rounds. If we had a championship on, um, Jonathan Ray kind of reminded us where we're all at in World Series, doesn't he? He is a class apart. Yeah, it was a matter of like, just when you thought Sykes might be opening the door to a title challenge, like Jonathan Ray shut the door right on Tom's nose. Um yeah, that was just a nope right there from Jonathan. And and again, he's it's 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 one of those things where Sykes, well, we'll get to this in the mid-season review, but it's like Sykes is having as good a season as he's, as he's ever had in World Superbikes. He's he's never really been the picture of dominance in Worlds, not on the level that we're seeing from Jonathan Ray. And this was his ninth victory this season in the 16 races we've had so far. He's won more than half the races on the calendar, and he's only finished two of them outside of the top two. Um, Both of those, those, he fell off. Yes, effectively. Neither Uh, his fault. (laughs) Neither were his fault. He's... Like, he's not really made a rider error this entire season. It's no. ridiculous. And, like, there is no human answer to stop that when Jonathan Ray's just been that good. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost getting boring talking about how good a rider this man is. But, uh, again, race two was just, was just peak Jonathan Ray. Just nobody had an answer for him. Um, even Chaz, after the race, openly admitted when, when he finished in third, he said straight up, like, even if I had gotten clear of Xavi and even if I was in clear air challenging for the win, I don't think I could have matched Jonathan's pace, um, which must have been very humbling because Chaz has won, I think, at least three races at the Guinness Acre in the last three years. He's very, very good around here. One of Ducati's stronger tracks. And again, Jonathan Ray is left with 45 points. Um, out of a possible 50 and more than Chaz and, T- and Tom Sykes did and that was one of the rounds where I thought he might be a little bit weaker and Jonathan still found a way to get at least one win on the board and finish second in the other one you can't ask for much more than that and that's why Jonathan Ray is probably going to cakewalk his way to the championship he's just that good yeah the points lead has gone from 50 out to 59 um, with 10 races to go um, five rounds to go um, still to go. Uh, Laos its ring in Germany, the other side of the summer break. Port him out after that. Um, then the two final European rounds of Jerez and Magnico before the season finale in Qatar um, on the uh, first weekend um, of October later in the year. Um, so that's what's to come in the remainder of the season. Um, Tom Sykes' weekend then, he came in for a bit of criticism, which we'll come on to in a bit. Um, really, his big crime in the eyes of um, one or two keyboard warriors out there was for not being as good as Jonathan Ray um, last weekend, um, which, uh, which 
you know, if you know, you can level that the entire field then, basically, um, for Tom Sykes. But there wasn't an awful lot more he could have done, was the Dre? As I say earlier on, once he was overtaken halfway through race one, the game was up. Yeah, like Tom Sykes. Like, in comparison to Jonathan Ray, Tom Sykes has just not been the race guy. He's been the Super Bowl guy for the most part. Outside of Donington, and even that, the, the chinks were there in race two. But the, the reverse grid format actually did more harm to Sykes than anything else. Um, but, yeah, like, it's, it's it's sad. It's sad that, like, I, 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 on one hand, I actually want to almost praise what's in Bible fans for uh, giving... For basically giving Jonathan Ray the Michael Schumacher treatment because he is that good. Um, that is the reality of it. But also, it also kind of makes an indictment on on Tom that's actually kind of harsh. I mean, uh, can you really criticize a guy for not being as good as Jonathan Ray, who has been practically like having a bad season? Yeah, it's like like can you really criticize him for being like as unbeatable as he's been in Worlds for the last three seasons now? Like. Don't get me wrong, I know Sykes was close to the last couple of years and it and it, it had gone a little bit closer than this on, on previous occasions, but like Jonathan's just been this good. Yeah, let, uh, me put, let me put it this way. If Jonathan Ray had never joined Kawasaki and we still had Laurie's Baz on that bike, we'd probably be talking about Tom Sykes the way we talk about Jonathan Ray. We'd be talking about Laurie's Baz the way we currently talk about Tom Sykes. Yeah. It's one of those. It's, one of those. it's just it's it just sucks being the number two in a dominant team. Just does. It just does, and Tom Sykes, yeah, he is almost the Rubens Barrichello of modern-day world superbikes from the uh, from the uh, previous decade of Formula One, where Rubens was, by anyone's measure, a brilliant racing driver, but just not quite as good as that world champion tier of drivers. You know, in 2009, when he was in a championship-winning car, there was just one guy slightly better than him uh, that year. Um, it just seems to be the way. Uh, for Charles Davies, then, we've already touched on his win uh, in race one. Um, he's, as I say, he's moved himself closer to Sykes and that's pretty much going to be the story I think now for the second half of the season can Chaz chase down Tom Sykes because he tried valiantly to do in race two he'll be trying to do that for second in the championship as well now and Chaz Davis has proven once again that he and that Ducati in the right conditions can be unbeatable and mm. Chaz will now I guess be looking at the rounds remaining as the rounds where he literally was unbeatable last year yeah Germany was very strong last year so seconds. yeah one by ten seconds and yeah, he'll be he'll be eyeing that one up after the summer break Portimao, Kawasaki's been pretty strong around there in, in recent history, so that one might be a write-off. Magni Corey's done well around in the past. That could be one where if if, if the bike is good, then Ducati could could upset the apple cart. Haraf's a pretty good circuit, and then Qatar's a bit of an equaliser, so who knows? Um, but there's rounds that Chaz can definitely target. I think 52, I think 56 points to Tom Sykes might be a bit too big an ask for him. He's going to need quite a lot of wins with Johnny second, isn't he, to kind of take those nine-point yes. gaps out of him. Exactly, and like 56 points means basically you need seven of those to happen, and there's only 10 races left on the calendar, and I think Jonathan's going to win at least two or three of them, and that's probably me being harsh on Johnny. So... Yeah, I think it's going to take a big ask from 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 Chaz to to reel in second place like he did, or almost did last year, if it wasn't for a bit of sporting good grace from Jonathan yeah. Ray. But um, yeah, this is a shame because again, as we mentioned, Tom has been as good as he's always been this season. It's just the fact that Chaz has had a, has had one too many mistakes really to realistically have a chance of reeling him in. Mm, he is. Um, 
one thing that was noticeable, certainly to me, and, and I think to many others last weekend, perhaps it was because World Superbikes was the only show in town, bike-wise, last weekend. There was no MotoGP, there was no BSB, and it was on prime time in, uh, in the UK. It was on at sort of 10 o'clock, 9, 10 o'clock at night. Um, so a good time on a weekend to watch some bike racing. But it did appear last weekend, Dre, as if the public, um, certainly those, the most vocal of them, certainly on Twitter, were turning on World Superbikes, um, given the lack of entertainment we saw last weekend. Was that how you saw it? Uh, yes and no. Um, okay, Laguna Seca was a stinker in terms of entertainment value. I will be the first person to admit that. I don't disagree with people like Keith Ewan who watched and said, yeah, this was boring. Yeah, it was. I'm not going to argue with you on that. Um, it's, it's, it wasn't great. And Laguna Seca's nature of, of, of difficulty to pass means often it can create tense races but not necessarily exciting ones and that is the nature of Laguna Seca as a racetrack unfortunately but the problem with that is it's also one of the marquee races on the calendar because not many places race there anymore because Laguna Seca is such an old-fashioned sort of circuit mm. um like it's it's ignored by a lot of the bike but it's no longer on the MotoGP calendar um, obviously, it's not a, it's not domestically relevant outside of Moto America, which is limited to watch in the first place. Um, so, yeah, like it's a, it's a marquee race. Fans look forward to it. I looked forward to the Gunaseka this year. It's it's yeah. a great it's a great historical circuit. It's one that fans will love. And so, when it's a anticipated race with the action being boring, unfortunately, yeah, fans are going to kick up a stink. It's 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 inevitable because this is. The internet, it's a world of instant gratification and, you know, you, you can you can have instant reaction and, yeah, like, both races weren't great, especially race two. And, of course, people are going to react to that and, unfortunately, they'll take out their frustrations on many of the riders, as we saw with Tom Sykes, for example, where, yeah, he, he basically got in the shit for not being as good as Jonathan. And... <laughs> It's justified to a degree, but I also have to be the first person to point out that this season's actually been pretty darn good so far. Across the board, we've had some very good races in spite of the of the dominance of Kawasaki and Ducati and whatnot on many occasions. I mean, just two weeks ago at Misano, we had two excellent races that had drama right until the very end. And, you know, had overtakes, thrilling passes, and multiple manufacturers involved for race wins. I don't see one more you could ask for out of the World Superbike Weekend, but nobody talked about that three weeks ago. But yeah. the moment they're giving a Seca stinks to bed, we all crap on it from a great height. So it's, yeah, I, I think there's a level of double standards in this for sure. Yeah, that's my point, is what, yeah. what, what do people really expect do they expect every race to be an all-out thriller yes. <laughs> i don't think if they do they're expecting too much i mean i'm looking through the calendar i'm trying to think to myself which rounds did we have that didn't produce any good racing thailand you could probably say didn't um jonathan yeah. ray cruz were both races philip island was brilliant um, as yeah. it always is aragon was i thought was great we had two very close last lap battles between ray and davies all of davies yeah. crashed at the aragon end of race great. one which kind of um that had led to a bit of an anticlimax in race one, but race two was brilliant. Assen always entertains. We would have had another Ray Davies battle in race one had Davies' bike not failed, and Sykes nearly beat Ray on the line in race two. Um, Imola wasn't great, certainly wasn't great. Davies dominated both races in that one. Donington, I thought, was superb. Um, we had two different battles between Ray and Sykes, but both entertaining in their own ways. 
um, and Mizano. We all know what happened there. In particular, race one. Race one was a stunner um, with just action upon action. And then race two was, wasn't was a thriller, but it was interesting in the sense that we had different guys up the front, which added a level of intrigue to that race. That it no, Johnny! Exactly. <laughs> had a level of intrigue that it perhaps wouldn't normally have had if it was Ray and Davies and Sykes up the front. It was Malandri and Torres up there which made it interesting. Um, so it's not like it's been a season full of dire races. Um, now, um, to bring us on to a, a separate argument in terms of the series as a whole, um, I don't think this is anything that any of us have ever denied. The series needs a bit of a facelift in terms of regulation changes, doesn't it? And and last weekend saw comments from Carmelo Espeleta, the chief of Dorna, who, without directly saying it, basically suggested that the series would be better served if it moved a little bit closer to super stock regulations. In other words, to bring the cost down and encourage privateer teams to compete and give them more of a chance to compete with the likes of Kawasaki and Ducati Mm. and more wildcards. It's not a change that would perhaps meet with great approval from Kawasaki and Ducati, who believe they're getting what they pay for um, in World Superbikes, and that is a lot of airtime and a lot of success and a lot of money. But as the championship as a whole, is that probably the best way to go? Oh, this is a tricky one. This, the, because it's worked for this, BSP. It has worked for BSP, and I'm not denying that for a minute. But that was, uh, that was great. There was many an argument between David Emmett fans and Stuart Higgs, who basically runs BSB, regarding this last week when Carlo made these comments about, you know, maybe t- taking Worlds and putting it more towards the path of Superstock 1000, phasing out that series. Which, let's be honest there is the series that nobody cares about on the world calendar. No. Uh, like, even the super stocks have more investment. Yeah. No in disrespect it. to Raffaele De Rosa, but if, um, he, if he is your super stock thousand champion, then the level of that championship is not that high. That, that no. sounds horrible for Raffaele De Rosa, who won that championship last year, but um, that's not a ride. I would argue the British season is more relevant right yeah. now than the Raffaele world. Raffaele De Rosa is not yeah. a rider that anyone would count amongst the elite of motorcycle racing worldwide. Um, no. Yeah, he is the reigning Superstock Thousand champion. Yeah, and I w- I'd, I'd argue the domestic series for, for for the British Superbike undercard having the British series, I think, has been more captivating this year than anything the World Series has produced. Given that it's had like Danny Buck and, and Hachi and you know get well soon Hachi by the way. Cooper, um, Cooper, James Rispoli, who I may or may not have jinxed when I was at Brands Hatch. He's heading, he's heading to the X Games, by the way. We didn't mention this on the news yes. last week because we had so much, but James Rispoli's heading for the X Games. Yeah, he's going to the X Games to do some dirt tracking. So good luck, James. Um, all the best. Um, bring home an X Games medal because they're very cool looking. But um, yeah, like in, in in short, like there's no, I don't think there's an easy answer to this, and it's it's it crosses the ethical question of should you punish a manufacturer that's doing its job too well. Um, David Emmett's made many a good point, saying that, yeah, any sporting series, first and forehand, is an entertainment one. And you have to have an entertaining product, otherwise no one's going to care, even if, um, even if you know, guys are great and whatnot, and it makes money, you have to be entertaining, otherwise no one's going to watch you, and if no one's going to watch you, you're not going to make money, and the whole thing dies anyway. So... Yeah, I get it. Like sports and entertainment, are, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. But the uh, the question you're going to have to be asking here is: is that do you compromise your sporting integrity to a degree to try and make the show quote quote unquote? Because I mean, you know, we all know F1 fans have been using that term for years to try and spruce up their product. 
Um, that, like, how much of that do you want to compromise for the sake of a more entertaining product? Because the, the, the argument I would make is that this series has been entertaining this year, certainly more so than people on the internet will want to make out. But there is no coincidence. If you ever look on a Wikipedia page um, for the World Championship this season, like, here's an experiment for you. Put up the page. Take the top four away. How many podiums? How many podium graphics do you see outside of the top four? Spoiler alert: the answer is three. Only three times has a rider outside of Kawasaki and Ducati's factory teams have finished on the podium this season. And one and of Alex... those was a wild card on a factory Kawasaki. <laughs> no, 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 it was a wild card on a factory Kawasaki, and that was Leon Haslam at Donington, and the other two came from Alex Lowe's who has finished in the top five on six other occasions this season. So, yeah, the problem with like, the problem with Worlds is that other factories are not good enough to compete on Kawasaki and Ducati's level. The problem with that is that Kawasaki and Ducati are throwing a lot more resources on their product, especially the guys in green, because they're not in MotoGP. This is their this is their bread and butter. This is this is where they're going to make their bike sales up because Jonathan Ray is a marketable guy. He's the face of the championship right now, and you know what they will tell you in motorsport: whatever wins on Sunday sells on Monday. And I remember distinctively stories about Josh Brooks when Yamaha started to come good. Like Yamaha's dealerships were selling more R ones than ever because Brooks was winning on it in the domestic championship. People thought it was a sexy bike, which it very much is. Yeah. So it's. It's it's a difficult one because this is going to cripple Kawasaki if you if you throw in rules that will actively try to hurt them because like I said this is where they make their money. Hmm. Um, I mean, what 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 what's interesting here and um, David I think it was David who made this point as well or it might have been Simon Patterson I forget who made the point but it was one of the preeminent motorcycle racing journalists who who referred to the current rule set in MotoGP which is providing a much greater level playing field which it is but we're still seeing the same guys fight for the championship aren't we we're still seeing Marquez yes. Rossi. We're still seeing Yamaha uh, and Honda. Um, Davizioso, of course, has joined the party in the Ducati, but we're still generally seeing the same guys fight for the championship. And I guess that'll be the argument here in World Superbikes. If you create a little playing field, you're probably still going to see Kawasaki and Ducati fighting for the championships, but there are more guys who can beat them on any given day um, and win the odd race now and again, um, which will create intrigue. And I would I would encourage World Superbikes at the moment to go towards this more super stock style regulation change and i would i would qualify it by saying you know, i would look at it in a similar way as MotoGP looked at crt in that it's almost like a a step backwards to try and then hopefully take two forwards um right. I, think, I think if you encourage because if you encourage these other manufacturers or some strong independent teams to compete and spend some money at it then they're in a greater position to then compete further down the line um and at the moment what incentive is there for Honda or Yamaha, for instance, take those two, for instance, to spend some more money, to throw some more money into World Superbikes when they're so far behind, when they're already spending through the noses to try and win in MotoGP. Um, there's, yeah. there's no real incentive for them to then spend some more money, either take money out of their MotoGP projects, which they're not going to do, um, not. Or, or spend some more to try and compete with Kawasaki and Ducati, who are so far ahead at the moment um, in, in World Superbikes. Um, and James Whitton made the point as well with regards to these bikes being road relevant and for these this technology these um trick bikes that we're essentially seeing in world superbikes now the zx10 rr for instance you know the technology on these will help the road bikes which whether that's true or not you also want to encourage sponsors into world superbikes as well and 
do you really think that Red Bull give an a flying fart about how road relevant the current Honda Fireblade is when it's running I'm... around in 11th place? They, they, no, don't, they don't care. They want they to don't... see results. They don't care. They just want the bike to perform. Like, they like, want it visible like, on TV. Like you said, um, you want to attract big-name sponsors. Red Bull is the biggest of big-name sponsors in motorsport now these days. They, their name is on fucking everything. And are they uh, going to, they're going to be sitting themselves now thinking, can we justify spending all this money to put our logos all over this Honda when it's not getting yeah. seen on TV? Yeah, Stefan Bradl, for example, is 13th in the championship right now, and he's had one top eight finish this season. He's not going to get a lot of TV time, and that's the reality of it. And James Whitson made the point in race two. Also, great to see him back on TV, by the way. Um, but it's one of those things where he said, well, okay, I think it looks like we should go. We should go. The way he was talking, it was encouraging him to go back to this rule. And yeah, he's got a valid point, but yeah, um, these bikes, even in stock form, still have over 200 horsepower. It's what you know, these it, like bikes are going in the way of cars where it's a power race now, where you're seeing all, like, all these cars with more power, more of everything, basically, and it would still be relevant now. The problem is, is that does anybody watch World Superbikes and say, yeah, I can go buy that bike right now? That seems really appealing to me. Um, no one was saying that last weekend. No one was looking at the Kawasaki's running one two, thinking, do you know what? I really fancy myself as ZX-10R. They were only talking about how poor the racing was. Exactly. So I, I'd argue that, you know, the road relevancy is one that is not going to bother a main sponsor in the slightest. They don't care if they're, if they're supporting the biking industry because, and this is what Julian Ryder pointed out when talking about it. People aren't buying big superbikes anymore. No. They're not spending because like a good superbike is now over twenty grand. It's 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 good car money now for a really top of the line superbike. Um the one the one the ones you, that you can ride on the road. And if you ever go out on, on a on an average day, I've only ever I've only seen like maybe one superbike out in public this year. It's the guy that works next to my bookies that has an MV Augusta F four double R, which I'm very jealous of. Um I must say. But it's a beautiful thing. Mm. But like that's about the only road superbike I've seen on the roads this year. People aren't buying these bikes anymore. Not for the most part because I remember growing up back in the days of fifth gear and they were comparing super bikes to supercars and you could get a GSXR 1000 for eight grand, which is cheap. Like, like that, that's like cheap car money now. But now they're like 18, 20, 22,000 for, for a top of the line bike. And people just can't justify that sort of expense because some of these super sport bikes, the 600cc bikes have got more than enough water in them now where you don't need to spend all that extra money. Like the 600s, the back of the Panagard has got an 858 model, for example, that is really, really good. And, you know, the 600s, even the 300s are now packing a, a decent amount of yeah, water. Think, the think of why the World Super Sport 300 class has been introduced, because that's the way the motorcycle industry is going. That's yeah, where going people smaller. are spending their money. And from a yeah. viewer's point of view as well, I mean, if, if this rule were to be introduced, it wouldn't literally see World Superbikes become super stock. It would be a step up than from that. It would be sort of halfway between what we currently look at as Superstock 1000 and World Superbike. Um, but I was looking at the last round at Mizano and looking at the pole times for the two classes, and there is a three and a half second difference between the pole time in Superbike and the pole time in Stock 1000. Um, now, you could explain away probably a second of that to the qualifying tyre, and that they have in World sure. Superbikes that they don't have in Stock 1000. And also, let's be fair, we're talking about better riders here. We're talking about Sykes Absolutely. and Ray, and we're not talking about Michael Rubin-Rinaldi and Roberto Tamburini. No disrespect. Mm -hmm. um, so, as a viewer, 
Um, let's say this rule came in. As a viewer, are you really going to look at the sport and notice the difference? You're probably not, are you? No. A second elapsed lower, probably. We're talking. Yeah, only 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 the anoraks are going to sit down and compare it to MotoGP and say, "Why is this bike so slow by comparison?" Until you realise, why are we MotoGP records anymore? Yeah, it's like, well, because they're two hundred and sixty horsepower prototypes that are designed to be as fast as possible, not a road bike that has been slightly modified and homologated to to run on any given circuit or from a base standard like that the, these prototypes cost hundreds of thousands if not millions of pounds these road bikes are not going to cost that much and ultimately if you're going down the super stock road then of course you're going to want a cheaper model and yeah, that's the whole that's the point you want it to be cheap so you can get more participation involved and like i have never watched a, a world superbike race ever and said you know what these bikes need to be quicker like they were doing 160 miles an hour over turn one at laguna seca this weekend and it was friggin' stunning to mm. watch them go over go over the go over turn one like that at that sort of speed it was ridiculous so i have never watched the world superbike race saying well, you know what? These bikes need to be quicker. No, they're pretty darn quick. We were the guys that were quickly pointing out how fast Jonathan Ray was in winter testing in a combined MotoGP test at the start of the year. Um, so for me, yeah, it, like I overall say if it's good for the show and if it brings other people into play, then go right ahead and make it a Superstock 1000 sort of rules because you know what? The way resources are, Kawasaki and Ducati will probably still end up on top anyway. But if you get more guys like a Haslam wildcard entry in there, and if you get factories like Yamaha to give a little bit more backing to, to people like Crescent Racing or to Tenkate that are basically running their factory efforts in Worlds, if you can help those third parties out and give them a little bit of a boost um into getting them into the top six then i'm all for it basically because the way this the way the format is going right now it's kawasaki and jacati and then it's everybody else and that is not going to change anytime soon unless change happens now no i think don have got to be proactive with this one they've got to act they, they can't let the series fall to MotoGP gp 2010 11 numbers of grid grid numbers before they make a change i think they've got to be proactive here and and try and you know solve the problem before it grows um, in that respect um, and I, I trust Dorna on this they're, they're pretty good if you look at MotoGP back in that time and there was we were all fearing a real standoff between the factories and Dorna to try and decide which way to go and you know the, the factories were vehemently against particular Honda were against the Specul ECU which is now commonplace and Dorna won that battle of poker if you like and and they and everyone the whole sport is now reaping the rewards of that um, Camelis Paletta has spoken um, about this this week I was speaking to MCA and he said um, that you know the main asset of the championship, our championship, talking about World SBK, is to be as close as possible to the real products that the fans that follow the championships are using on the road. Which, in a way, is kind of what World Superbikes has gone away from in recent years with the more trick versions of these superbikes. Um, he also says the real reason, or the main reason uh, of that, is to provide a better sport, better competition, better parity. Because at the end of the day, our intention is to increase the impact of the championship, increase the partnerships, and allow the teams to have better sponsors. Coming back to the point that James Whittab made earlier on. Um, and a final quote on this. Um, now you also now you also have the same organisers of the championship referring to Dorna. I am not sure there is a possibility to turn back the clock 15 years in reference to more super stock style, style regs. I think World Superbikes has to be for the real enthusiast and MotoGP is more for people who do not know so much about the bikes. I would like to see more manufacturers uh, and more manufacturers being competitive. 
Those are the words of Claudio Domenicali, CEO of Ducati. Uh, so even yeah. he, even he is recognised that something uh, needs to change. Um, we'll we'll come on to this no doubt in future weeks as perhaps these rules become um, are, are introduced into World Superbikes or, or how this political game unfolds over the course of the summer break. Um, but we're going to return to the Guda Seca for the moment, and uh, we're actually going to pick back up with Ducati and their second rider last weekend. Uh, Marco Malandri, Dre, who um, quite frankly just did not get on with the Gunaseka, did he? Pole in race two, and yet he ended up just the same distant fourth as he did in race one. Yeah, just a distant fourth compared to the top three that were just way ahead of him. It kind of summed up Marco Malandri's season, really, where he's always been blown out by somebody a little bit better outside of maybe Masato, where he won um, in race two. But outside of that, he's never looked like the guy that can really, really take a race by the scruff of its neck and go, yeah, I've got a chance of winning this thing. And yeah, he was he, he rode a very lonely race. He was clearly way better than than, than, than Flores was and than the rest of the field in, in Worlds. But uh, he was also just not in the same ballpark as his teammate or the Kawasaki's that, you know, of course, are the main threat for them this season. So... Yeah, as it stands right now, it's probably just uh, a lonely weekend to forget for Marco. Not terrible, but two fourth places, but uh, more lost ground to the big three in front of him. And uh, yeah, that's all you can really take away from him, I suppose. Mm, two lonely rides, I suppose, for, for Cherry Forres in the end as well. But two fifth places for him on the satellite Ducati. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, he kind of put the kibosh on Charles Davies' hopes of a double. Um, in race two um, but this is a guy we're going to talk about him a bit more later in the show this is a guy again whose reputation just continues to enhance with every passing weekend yeah Zary Forrest was great this weekend great great rides both both circumstances he's very quietly putting together a very good season he split the Yamahas in the championship standings right now um, which is a bit better than I thought it was going to be because Yamaha have genuinely improved a lot this season, but uh, Forrest is still sticking with them in that battle for the top six. Um, and yeah, he outpointed both of them this weekend with two very nice fifth places. And yeah, a great, great weekend from Zavi. Really, really solid rides there. Did a great job holding off Chaz Davis for as long as he did in race two, That which probably, you know, pissed off more Ducati fans than anything else. Like, like, like hmm. get with the program, Zavi. This is, this was not what we had in mind, but, um, yeah, like I said, very, very well, well driven indeed from, from Zavi. And again, it's been the story of a season really, where he's just picked up a lot of the pieces and has been, well, he is, he's the top satellite rider in the championships. And he's, he's, he's done a really, really good job with that Ducati. Yeah, he was uh, a pair of top six finishes for two other Brits in the field. Um, Eugene Laverty in race two took a sixth place after Leon Camier had done so uh, in race one. Um, I think a better result for Camier than it was for Laverty uh, in that one, Dre. Camier's, um, by his own admission, I think, had a pretty poor weekend last time out in Mazzano. The, the MB Augusta was never really in the frame uh, around there. But um, Camier, once again, doing the Lord's work on that MB Augusta to take a solid, solid sixth in race one. Just when you look at the guys he's beaten, beating both the Yamahas, beating Torres beating all of the Aprilias. Um, 23 seconds off the wing. Camille once again, just showing what he's made of. Absolutely. Like he, he is clearly the most valuable asset in that canvas. Just have a rider that will get the maximum out of that bike every week he's on it. And it's a shame because that bike has let him down on multiple occasions and he doesn't, and he doesn't deserve that. Two. As he did in race two, where they like, have some sort of brake failure and the whole thing was off in the gravel. And uh, you've got a celebratory kick for its troubles from Camille yes. there. But, um, 
I don't think it was celebratory, but you get the gist. Um, but yeah, another really, really strong performance. It is the sixth time this season Carrier has finished in the top six on a, on a bike with basically no budget, no tech, and way off anything really that um, the other teams have in terms of assets and resources. And yet here he is, like the best of the rest. Like the only guys that are in front of him is, is Xavi Forez on a satellite Ducati. And then it's three big powerhouse manufacturers in Kawasaki, Yamaha, and Ducati. Like, Camir is ahead of Jordi Torres, ahead of Eugene Laverty, uh, Mercado, Bradle, etc. Just some really, really solid names in the championship on good bikes. And Leon is just not going away. He's He's been really, really good this season. He's been able to find it work. He has. Uh, Eugene Laverty, then, the other one of the two that I mentioned, who had a top six result. But as I say, not as good a result for him, I would have argued, as it was. And for Camia, and it was it was strange because it looked like it was going to be a good weekend for Aprilia from the start of the weekend. Laverty was second quickest in first practice on the Friday morning um, behind Chaz Davies, and it looked as if uh, Aprilia were going to be much closer to the front. He then qualified on the second round of the grid, qualified fifth, um, with only the big four, if you like, of Sykes, Ray, Davies, and Melandry ahead of him, um, and uh, just ahead of Mikado on another Aprilia, but it never really worked for the Aprilia team uh, later in the weekend. Um, uh, Mikado was the first of the Aprilia's home in race one after Eugene Laverty had crashed out. He was ninth ahead of Savadori in tenth. Uh, Laverty then finished sixth in race two, but he was 26 seconds off the race winner. Um, Jonathan Ray in a 25 lap race, which just illustrates just the gulf between the haves and the have nots in World Superbikes at the moment. Um, Yamaha, a team that Dre, you mentioned a moment ago, who've been one of the three sort of powerhouse manufacturers so far this season, but um, it was almost a departure or a return to last year for Yamaha. It just the bike just never seemed to work at any stage, did it, around Laguna? Yeah, even if they did have any pace, they couldn't show because they couldn't pass anybody. And Vandermark was caught in that, um, especially in race one, where he just couldn't get around people in the midfield on, on, on normally where he would beat the people around him um, on that on raw pace alone. But he struggled. He was, he was behind Savadori. He was behind Mercado. Um, in the same ballpark as Bradle, and, and, and yeah, to him and his teammate, but were not particularly strong. Lowe's crashed in race one, and yeah, Vandermark was you know, bottom side of the top ten, where he's been a lot better than that this season on many other races. So this was just a poor weekend all round for Yamaha. It was, again, like you say, if he didn't know anybody, he thought it might have been last year's bike, which is a shame. And yeah, it's just... Whew. Not, not a good weekend for Yamaha at all on this one. One to forget. Yeah, one to just scrub out, and hopefully they'll be right back to where they were. Uh, Mizano next time out. Of course, Mizano seems as if it was going to be the start of something great for Yamaha, where they fought for the win in race one with Vandermark. And, yeah, it was uh, very much a step back for them um, at Laguna Seca. Um, elsewhere, two other factories that we can mention, BMW and Honda. We'll start with BM and Jordi Torres, um, who had a, another solid out, outing in race one. Finished seventh, which earned him a top four grid slot for race two. But... Um, race 2 ended rather quickly for him and his teammate DeRosa and what Altea BMW termed as a black Sunday uh, for the team. Torres, who's um, clearly through a number of races season, shows he's got the pace and got the performance, if, just if you can see the chequered flag, which he hasn't seen too often this year. Sadly, yeah, that's been that's been a, a, a case of Geordie. If he can keep it up right, he's in the top 6 or 7 and he's been really good where that's concerned, but just one too many DNFs, really. And again, he, I think this was another weekend where he was trying just a little bit too hard. He lost the front at turn 1 and down he went. It was a... It, it, it was it, this weekend was peak Geordie Torres. A really good result in race 1 to finish in 7th and then followed by a 
time he's in sixth place, but he's probably just overriding it a little bit, and then down goes the front, and then down goes Jordi Torres and my mood. Um, sad times. <laughs> yeah, sad times. Sad times as well. If you are a Honda fan, unfortunately, um, it gets even worse when we get onto a mid-season review. Trust me. Um, but uh, Stefan Bridal. Uh, <laughs> 11th in each race, which is about where Honda are at the moment. But let's try and find a, a crumb of comfort, some good news for the Honda team. Um, and, and Jake Gagne, on his debut in World Superbikes, given the thankless task of riding Nicky Hayden's Honda around Laguna Seca, um, the first time that his spot has been filled since his untimely passing. Um, and to be fair to Jake Gagne, doing about as well as anyone could have realistically expected him to do. Points in both races and very nearly out-qualified Bradle too. Yeah, very good pace showing in Super Bowl. Only six hundredths behind Stefan Bradl in the end, and that's probably more of an indictment on Stefan Bradl than anything else, sadly. Mm. But um, again, Jake in the race um, did about as well as I think anybody could have asked for him. He got points on both races, and I don't think he could have asked for much more than that, really. I think that was a very... Um, solid, solid wildcard performance from Gagne. We all know Honda are not performing where they should be. Um, but, but despite that, getting just getting the bike in the points would have been a good result for him. And it was. So uh, congratulations to Jake. He, he definitely held uh, held, held some, some good pride then. Good fight with Krumenacker towards the end of race two as well. <laughs> yeah, just pipped to 14 in that second race by Krumenacker in, in the end. But yeah, Ganya doing doing himself, doing his country, doing Nicky proud with his performance uh, last weekend. Uh, race one then at Laguna Seca ended like this. Chaz Davies, the winner, the brave winner. Uh, from Jonathan Ray and Tom Sykes completing the podium. Marco Melandri in fourth, ahead of Forres and Camia completing the top six. Um, that put those three on the front row for race two. Torres was seventh, ahead of Vandermark on the sole remaining Yamaha, and Mercado with Savadori completing the top ten. The rest of the points handed out to Bradle, Ramos, De Rosa, De Angelis, and Gagne in 15th. Uh, race two, Raid the winner this time from Sykes in second place. Davies basically running out of laps to catch the second of the Kawasaki's finished third. Melandri fourth, um, despite starting on the pole. Forres fifth again. Laverty sixth this time, which is probably where he would have finished had he not crashed in race one. Mercado up in seventh, uh, having started race two uh, on the second row. Sabadori in eighth. Alex Lowe's. Um, putting his crashing race one behind him to beat his teammate Vandermark to ninth, Vandermark tenth. Uh, then came Bradle, Ramos, DeAngelis, Krimenacker, and Gagne once again scoring points uh, in 15th. Championship standings then. Jonathan Ray leads into the summer break by 59 points from his teammate Sykes uh, with 10 races to go. Chaz Davies is a further 56 behind in third. Um, then a further 37 back to Melandry in fourth. Alex Lowe's is fifth. Um, just 16 ahead of Forrest now in sixth. Um, Forres has leapfrogged Vandermark last weekend. He's now seventh. Camille is eighth, as Dre mentioned a moment ago. Torres ninth, and Eugene Laverty completes the top ten uh, in the World Championship. Next round is at the Lausitzring in Germany towards the end of August. So we have a long, long summer break uh, in World Superbikes to come. Uh, round uh, eight, uh, round nine, should I say, of the championship. August the 18th to the 20th uh, for the German round at the Lausitz Ring. Um, but that's not all of World Superbikes for this show because we are going to have our mid-season review uh, the other side of this break.
you back with us uh, here on Bike Live, and uh, let's start by bringing you a little bit of news from the week. There hasn't been an awful lot of it, of course. MotoGP is on its summer break, and BSB is in between rounds. Uh, they return at Brands Hatch um, in a week's time um, for their annual summer round around the Grand Prix circuit. Um, but we're going to start with Speedway news, and congratulations to Poland, who won the Monster Energy Speedway World Cup last weekend, led by Matze Janowski, um, and cheered on by Rebecca James, despite the fact that the United Kingdom were in the final. Bex is a known Matze Janowski fan, um, and, was oh, really? cheering, and was cheering on the Poles in the final, and cheered them to victory. Janowski, the top scorer on uh, top scorer on his team, at least. Antonio Limbach, top scorer on the night, but that wasn't enough to take Sweden to victory. They finished second overall uh, in the final. Poland, the winners, quite comfortably at the end, by six points from the Swedes, who took the silver. Um, the third spot on the podium going to Russia. Great Britain, who did make the uh, final in the end, having come through their semi-final, were fourth out of four in the final in the end. Uh, congratulations to Poland, the Monster Energy Speedway World Cup winners. The Grand Prix Series returns very, very soon. The next round, of course, is at the Principality Stadium in Cardiff. And now back to the World Super Sport paddock and some sad news, certainly if you follow this show on a regular basis, because we've been uh, championing um, the uh, fortunes of Robbie Rolfo in World Super Sport so far this year. He won the opening round of the season and led the World Championship for the first three rounds of the season. Um, but Dre, um, well, what can we say? A month or two is a long time in World Super Sport because from championship <laughs> leader to unemployed, Robbie Rolfo has been given the sack. <laughs> we had a dream we had a dream it was a beautiful dream of Robbie Rolfo at the age of 74 mm. potentially winning the World Super Sport Championship we thought with Keenan down you know, Lucas Mahias and Jules Gazelle's engines blowing up we thought the door was open for a Robbie Rolfo title push and I was all for it and um, Sadly, a month or two of shit in the bed for Robbie Rolfo later, and we realise Robbie Rolfo is still very much Robbie Rolfo. Um, and take that for what it's will, but yeah, it's not a good thing, It's sadly. Mm. Uh, yeah, he is gone, and I, I will now weep into my pillow as you talk about him some more. Mm, yeah, me too. Um, to be fair, the team... Um, let's not let's get in the way of a good story, but the team have probably upgraded on Rolfo. Um, to Lorenzo Zanetti, 29-year-old, who um, has previously finished third in the World Championship in World Super Sport um, for the Factory MV Augusta team. Uh, he will be stepping in at the Team Factory Vamag squad um, for the rest of the year. Um, now, the comments from the, the team manager, uh, Gelfi Iliarco, um, he says, the main reason was the unsatisfactory results and we weren't able to achieve what we expected. Nevertheless, the promising start to the season was recognised, but one race win does not make the most of the commitment given by the team. Um, which is pretty damning. Oh, wow. um, pretty damning, but um, if anything, it kind of sounds like Robbie Rolfo set the bar too high in race one. It's like yeah, he gave him some hope, probably yeah. too much hope, and the problem is, is, that J is that PJ Jacobson is on the same bike uh, on the MV Augusta, and he's fifth in the championship, 25 points in front of him right now. And it's amazing. Like, MV Augusta has sacked a guy that's seventh in the championship right now. This would not happen under normal circumstances, but bike racing is weird, basically. Mm -hmm. Cruel, cruel business. And Robbie Rolfo found that to his cost um, this week. Um, hopefully he turns up somewhere else uh, in World Supersport uh, in the near future. Um because technically he could still be in the championship. Probably won't, but technically he still could. Um, we're still dreaming, uh, even though he's currently not got a team or a bike to You're still up. dreaming. I'm, I'm, I'm distraught. Hey, it'd be, it'd be one hell of a story, wouldn't it? It'd be to oh, yeah. put Leicester City to shame if you came back and won this one. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, let's uh, let's return to World Superbikes then and, and uh, look at our mid-season review for the season. Given that, as you probably noticed, there ain't no else to talk about, 
Um, so we're going to talk World Superbike some more and look at the season as a whole so far. Um, and it's been a season dominated, of course, by Jonathan Ray, Tom Sykes, uh, and Chaz Davies. Um, but all that hope we had, Dre, the opening round in Phillip Island. Phillip Island always delivers um, cracking racing. And what an opening weekend we had, to be fair. And in fairness, as much as the podium was a very familiar story with Ray winning the opening race from Davies and Sykes, Ray then won race two from Davies uh, as well, and Melandri on the podium... It was almost the, the interlopers that made that weekend what it was. The likes of Alex Lowe, who for a long period in race one, actually threatened a victory. He did indeed. And he, he, he was the surprise runner in both of those races. Like, oh, wait, wait, Alex Lowe's is not going away, people. Yeah. Um, and he was right there. He was kind of barged off a, a bit by Marco Melandri in race one. And uh, yeah, but he was there in, on both races and... Like it's like the problem with Philip Island is it's a perfect season opener to get the paddock going, but it also it also often gives us a lot of false hope regarding what bikes could be competitive and what isn't because Philip Island is such a great equalising round where it's hard to pull away and it's even harder to stand out. But Alex Lowe's did just that—a pair of fourth places for his trouble. Yeah, just to uh, back up your point on false hope, when we moved on to Thailand for race two, Johnny Ray crushed them. Um, by winning both races at an absolute canter. No. Yeah, we called the episode the Buriram beaten down um, because of how dominant Jonathan Ray was that weekend. No one saw which way he went um, in the two races. Um, Davies taking a distant second in race one. Sykes taking second in race two with Davies uh, having a crash before a red flag came out for Lorenzo Savadori's uh, heavy fall there. Davies came back to sixth, but already he was starting to lose ground. And then he crashed, Ray, fighting for the win on the penultimate lap of race one on round three at Aragon. And for the third year in a row, we have to say, that kind of set the tone for Chas Davies of a guy who had all the pace and all the capabilities to really keep Jonathan Ray honest in a championship battle, but couldn't quite see the checker flag often enough. Yeah, it's the story of Chas Davis, really. It's 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 It, it was peak Chas Davis. You know, he, he was because we thought the after three races, three seconds to Jonathan Ray in each of the first two races, we kind of thought at that stage, this is a different Chas. He's taking the points on offer, and then that soon evaporated. Wrong, says says Chaz Davis as he loses the front and slides off from second place in race two in Thailand. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's 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 a shame, really, because it's peak Chaz Davis. He was making the most of what was given to him in the first three races. He was taking what what was on offer. He tried a bit too hard in Thailand in race two. He didn't have the you know, the right gauge of, of aggression and pace to get past his teammate, and he suffered for it. And in race two, and then Aragon, he's he's leading, and he's still he's got about half a dozen black lengths on Jonathan Ray going into that final corner on the penultimate lap, and it just doesn't quite happen for him in that sense. And yeah, it it, it opened the door for Jonathan Ray to put the hammer down on the championship right from the start, and uh, it was sad because again, like Chaz was in range, but it was you just you just after that Aragon race and after race, even even though he won race two, the damage was already done. We were all just sitting there going, "Well, that's the championship pretty much wrapped up for Johnny." Then, <laughs> yeah, because we were all thinking at this stage of the season, this is Chaz's bank around, um, yeah, and he can't even beat Jonathan Ray here, or when he does, he barely beats him. Because of course, he beats him by a nose in race two, and that was a race that Chaz did very nearly blew as well on the final lap. He made a mistake halfway around the last lap, which brought Jonathan Ray right onto his tail again. Um, yeah. And Chaz just about hold him off um, towards the end. Round four in Assen saw another Johnny Ray double. At this stage, he'd only dropped five points 
um, out of the first uh, eight races of the season. Seven wins out of eight and a second place to Chaz, a very close second in race two uh, at Aragon. Um, but again, a tale of what might have been for Chikati. Of course, Chaz was right in range in race one, too, before the bike failed on him. <sighs> a very Imola 2015 here, where... Again, if the bike was healthy, it probably would have won at least one race that weekend. But, of course, the other Ducati weakness, their reliability is not the best. And they are they will pretty much cough up at least one round a season. And this was the one where it went pop for Chaz on this one. And it was on the pretty much the final lap of the race as well. We were just about itching ourselves for a last lap Jonathan Ray Chaz Davis battle, especially after their blood feuding qualifying the day before. Um, and uh, the, the the heat that was in the air between the two of them. And uh, we were essentially robbed of a last lap dogfight that could have very easily been elbows out and nasty because Ducati went pop. Damn you, Ducati, you ruined everything. <sighs> yeah, we almost... Uh, it was. And that, that's a moment that gets forgotten in amongst this talk of World Superbikes being boring. We almost had our sort of Hamilton Vettel moment, didn't we, earlier in the season, um, yeah. where the two championship contenders very nearly came to blows between Ray and Davis. Unfortunately, Davis um, just couldn't quite keep up with Ray in the points race to really make it a battle because we looked like we had a genuine rivalry on our hands. And it's amazing, given what's happened since, that we even had that conversation back then of just how at odds the two were each other. Of course, Chance Davies came out with that lengthy essay-like statement after the weekend about Jonathan Ray and the uh, supposed uh, tricks that he was pulling or had pulled in the past, um, leveling those accusations to Jonathan Ray. And given what's happened since, no stones to the Mizano, it's almost amazing that we were having those conversations back then. Yeah, it was. And, like, again, like, we're seeing that the Jonathan Ray really is a good sport. Like, I, for one, am shocked at this. But, um, yeah, like, it is funny that just a couple of months prior, they were at each other's throats. Yeah. And Chaz Davis was, was making some very deep accusations about Jonathan Ray as, as a rider and a human being to basically say, oh, yeah, if, if he sees you as a threat, he rides dirty, which basically can now be put back to a complete load of hogwash when you look at uh, Jonathan Ray's sportsmanship since then and basically just... Just as well, neither of them are a threat then, eh? Yeah, exactly. Just seeing, well, yeah, like, Jonathan seems to, like, 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 there seems to be an element of practice what you preach out here and yeah, like, I think it, like even Chaz, I mean, how, even having to admit how nice Johnny was about the whole Misano situation just kind of goes to show you that maybe... There was an element of hogwash in what Chaz's original statement was, and it seemed to be overegging the pudding somewhat. Yeah, Chaz, <laughs> even if Chaz did feel a sense of injustice after Aston, he did get his own back at Imola with a dominant double. Uh, for the second year in a row, really, Chaz Davies winning both races uh, with clear daylight in second. Um, to quote Robbie McEwen of the cycling world, who used that line earlier on today. Yes. Uh, Chaz Davies was dominant um, in both races at Imola that weekend. Jonathan Ray did take a brace of second places, just doing a brilliant job once again of limiting the, dam the damage, um, which takes us to the British round at Donington Park. And you'll notice that we haven't really mentioned Tom Sykes yet um, as we round our way through the, uh, the season so far. Um, Donington Park, of course, is his domain, and he took his first one of the season in race one. Um, with Jonathan Ray, Dre, basically pushing him for most of the way before he started to feel bad vibrations um, from the rear of his Kawasaki, which soon materialized into a very, very scary accident, which, when we look back on it now, could have put his whole season at risk. It very much could have. And, yeah, there's just the rear tire completely comes off the rim. And next thing you know, Ray's in the, in the gravel at the bottom of the crane of curves at about 140 miles an hour. And luckily, 
he wasn't hurt by because it, it was a nasty, nasty accident. And one that, I, that me personally, I've ne- personally never seen that before in in a bike race where like a rear tire has completely gone off the rim it just doesn't make any sense to me um so yeah it was a bizarre accident the tire was pulled from the rest of the weekend afterwards so clearly something was up with the tire and to have that sort of incident happen it was very quietly um you know given a hush hush and hopefully we all forgot about it and moved on but um it's it it was a thing it was definitely a thing and um yeah it certainly went just just goes whoo man it was just it was it was eye-opening to say the least yeah and it certainly didn't seem to affect jonathan ray the next day either when we headed into race two because we'd been struggling for most of this year and for the last three years to try and find new ways of praising jonathan ray um and jonathan ray i suppose has been trying to look for new ways to motivate himself and one of his motivations, or uh, two of his motivations, I should say, heading into this new season were, A, to beat Chas Davis at his strongest circuit, which he achieved at Aragon, uh, but his other one was to beat Tom Sykes at his strongest circuit of Donington Park. Um, and just to prove how much of an incredible talent he is, Jonathan Ray succeeded in both of those missions. Breaking the streak. Uh, like uh, t- t- Tom Sykes looking for his temp straight Donington victory, and Ray took advantage of that. His, his almost ridiculous like race to restart ability that he's that he's done so well lately and yeah he was able to take advantage of it. I mean Tom Sykes tried to gun him down but he ran out of time. He ran out of laps. Jonathan Ray managed it beautifully, got it done, and uh, before you know it, Pader like the streak is over. And Jonathan Ray sent off a psychological. You could see Sykes was gutted and, and yeah. not being able to win ten straight like that. And Jonathan Ray had broken something. You know, we just go, Whew. You just, like you just go, wow. And yeah, you, you would never have thought that uh, that could happen. But yeah, there it was. Yeah, no matter how good you are around your best circuit on the calendar, you don't give a guy like Jonathan Ray a full second head start and expect to no, catch him. You just do don't that. do it. Um, and Jonathan Ray's brilliance on the early laps. Um, was his uh, well he was rewarded in the end with that victory uh, in race two um, we mentioned that race one at Donington Park and um, that was the race that we mentioned earlier on with uh, with Dre of um, the surprise podiums for the year uh, Haslam taking second in that first race as a wild card for the Pachetti team Alex Lowe's third having fallen to the back of the field after Haslam had punted him off at turn one essentially on the first lap of that race um, we saw Alex Lowe's again on the podium in race one at Mizano but that doesn't even come close to telling the story. I mean, of all the races we've seen this season, Dre, would Mizano Race 1 possibly be the World Superbike Race of the Year purely because it produced incident upon incident and a shocking final lap? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely for me. I think that was the best race of the year for World Superbikes. It, it would go toe-to-toe with pretty much anything MotoGP has produced this year as well. I think it was a in, in, incredible race um, from, from World when Michael van der Mark fought for the win. <laughs> That was a strange day. Um, yeah, gosh, um, not much else you can say besides that was Vandermark had a real shot at the win, then his tyre fed off the rim. Um, and, and a very similar one to what happened with Jonathan Ray, and he almost gets run over for his trouble on top of that, which would have been just all sorts of awful. Um, so, yeah, like that, again, like the, the Ray-Davies collision that uh, was probably about three months overdue, but it happened anyway, and... You know, Davis accidentally getting his back ridden over, and then Tom Sykes getting the jammiest win I think 
ever seen on a motorcycle. Um, fourth at the start of the final lap. Fourth at the start of the final lap and wins the race um, because, of course, basically. Because Melandry had crashed out a third shortly before the Ray Davies collision. Life ain't fair, people. It, it just isn't sometimes. You know, you know what it was? it was? It was Salt Lake City 2002 and the Aussie Speed Skater. Stephen Rabry. Stephen Rabry, after the front three in front of him, all took themselves out at the final corner. And even Stephen can't believe like, wait, did I just win? Yes! <laughs> I'm taking full credit for this. Goal yeah. to goal, the win's a win. Um, and, and even and even John, even Tom Sykes, as a true Yorkshireman, was more than happy to accept the jammiest of all victories, um, just as he was when he accepted the Super Bowl watch from Jonathan Ray at Assen uh, earlier in the year. Um, he didn't quite match that up with a win in race two. And um, yeah, race two was, as I said earlier on, it wasn't a thriller, but it provided probably more intrigue than any race we'd seen in World Superbikes this season because, of course, Chance Davies didn't start it because of his injuries from the day before. Um, and the Kawasaki's of Ray and Sykes, even though they'd started on the third row as they had many times this season, never really came through to the front as we expected, which meant that we had the likes of Marco Melandri, Jordi Torres and Xavi Forres running up the front of a race, which is a collector's item, really, in World Superbikes these days. And we saw Marco Melandri make history, the 100th victory for an Italian rider in World Superbikes. And... Uh, Melandri basically doing what Ducati had been hoping for their second rider for years, and that's to basically pull up a bit of the slack and not let Chance Davies do all the winning. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, Melandri did it in style. It was a very, like it was the most controlled Melandri had been all season long in a time where he had just you know slipped up and made all sorts of mistakes and whatnot, and you know little things here and there that, that had hurt his season as time went on. And uh, yeah, that was the big one. Just uh, just not quite working out overall over the season that got on. But the, the first win finally came along. I thought the first win was due at some point, and I'm glad he did get it, did get it in the end. It's a shame that Jordi Torres wasn't on the podium with him because you think he deserved one after a brilliant, brilliant ride in race two, robbed by by electronics, basically. And yeah, Melandri got you know, got a win. I don't think there'll be another one, to be honest with you, the way the season's played out. And mm-hmm. it's a shame, really, because, as you say, I think they replaced Giuliano for him in the hopes that, you know, he'd pick up a bit of the slack where Chaz Davis left off. And it's probably not really worked out for him that way this season, unfortunately. But um, yeah, yeah, a win's a win, as they say. Yeah, let's, uh, let's look at the season so far then as a whole. And let's go factory by factory or team by team, really. Um, and with the greatest of respect to uh, any of you Ayrton Badovini fans about there, we're not going to touch on many of the tailenders all that much. Um, we're going to basically start really? with... Yeah, well, what can you really say about that team? Uh, in fairness, Badovini, where is he in the championship? He's P-nowhere. Um, starting, <laughs> let's, let's look at... Well, I was going to say let's look at the factory teams, but there are some notable uh, exceptions to that. Um, and some riders that certainly deserve some praise who aren't necessarily part of factory teams or manufacturer teams. And, and we'll start with one of those, Dre, because if we're, if we're going to look at an unsung hero, someone who perhaps doesn't necessarily get the praise they deserve, who deserves some praise, and we're going to give them now, um, an unsung hero from 2017 so far, would Chavi Forrest be pretty high up that list? I'd say so. Um, he got a Ducati testing ride um, role at Masano last year in MotoGP, and he thoroughly deserved it because... Yeah. He was coming through as a wild card that's uh, on the satellite Ducati that just got his head down, not made very many mistakes and picked up good results. And maybe he might be the guy for the second factory seat, given the way he's been going yeah. as a, as a, as a satellite. He's on the door, hasn't he? Sure. Like, like he's, he's, he's put through a nice little CV um, of, of results this season, multiple top fives. He's had a couple of fourth place finishes at Imola 
uh, and of Assen this season where, you know, he's, he's picked up good results. He's not made very many mistakes at all. Just the one DNF to his name or two DNFs to his name all season long. One of them, well, his his bike literally caught fire. Um, yeah, and, both uh, of them were not his fault because the other one, of course, was the uh, Mizano Race 2 DNF when he was in the fight for the podium. Yes, exactly. Just two technical problems. And uh, to quote my old favorite YouTube channel, is it a good in a microwave? This nobody likes roasted nuts. Nope. Uh, basically, and again, Flores has not had a ride a mistake really all season long. He's put in great results. He's he's meant to be the second fiddle, but he's doing a very good job of splitting the Yamahas, who on paper should be a bit better than where they are by comparison, given it's a it's a full blooded Yamaha factory effort just without the name. And, yeah, Ferrez has done a very, very good job indeed. Nine top six results so far out of 60 races for Chavi Ferrez. Uh, I guess all that's missing for him is a podium, because all those nine top six results have been a fourth, a fifth, or a sixth. Um, none of them have been a first, a second, or a third, unfortunately, for Chavi Ferrez. But he has had a tremendous season so far. He is, uh, from the corresponding stage of last season, he is 57 points better off this year. Um, than he was last season. He was only on 75 points at this stage of last season, so he has had a tremendous season so far. Um, MV Augusta, then, are the first of the uh, manufacturer teams that we're going to mention. Of course, that means Leon Camier. Um, he is six points worse off at this stage of the season. He was on 105 this time last year. He was only on 99 at the moment. Um, he has actually had more top six finishes this year than at this stage last year, but he hasn't had any of those standout fourth places that he had at this stage last season. Um, and again, I think this is a team and a rider that are squeezing every last drop out of the package they have underneath them. Very much so. I mean, again, there isn't going to be much to this to this factory can do. We all know MV Augusta is a small outfit, and you know they are trying to expand into MotoGP. Remember, we forgot about that last year, where MV Augusta are thinking about a full-blooded MotoGP effort soon as well. So. Um, God help us all, basically. But um, but Leon Camier has done a tr tremendous job again this season where, he, again, we, we don't expect MV Augusta to compete on any sort of level, and yet Camier is in the top eight of the championship. And he's actually, like you said, having a worse season than he, than he was last year at this stage. But um, he's doing better than like the Aprilia efforts and the, the BMW of Torres. So, again, he's, he's picked up results where he can get them. He's finished in the top six on six occasions of this season, which, given it's an MV Augusta, is an incredible effort, given there's so many good, better bikes in front of him. Well, he was another guy at Phillip Island who was in and around the podium fight, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He, and, and that was a real shock to have Camille that high up the field. Um, and it wasn't raining. And he didn't have a nosebleed either, which I thought yeah. was a miracle in his own right. But... Uh, yeah, as you say, he was right in the, in the pavement. It's like, Camier is a great rider. The bike is, I think, holding Camier back from what he probably could do on a better package. But sometimes it's, it's 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 a good thing for your own profile to say, listen, I'm the guy that's dragging this team by the scruff of the neck and making results out of it. And that's making Camier a real unsung hero, at least in my eyes, at least. He's doing a great, great job. Absolutely. You kind of wonder with Camier whether... <laughs> I mean, I think he's pretty much happy with the team he's at. He enjoys being part of the NBA Augusta team. We've not heard in the, the, the many, many years we've been covering the show and he's been an NBA Augusta rider. We've never heard him really publicly complain once, have we, with the, the lot that he's, he's basically been drawn there. Um, so he seems pretty happy with the team he's at. And you do kind of wonder whether it almost suits him and suits that team to, for it to be a one-rider effort. There's clearly there is a limit of resources, as we've mentioned many times with that team. And you kind of wonder if they did try and branch out to two riders, whether that would actually be a hindrance to the team because they'd be basically splitting their resources between two bikes rather than focusing it all behind one. 
Um, and you do wonder whether they're on cameo, whether perhaps this one ride or one team setup does actually get bring the best out of him. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, we, we all saw it in, in uh, BSB last season um, where JT Speedfit had three riders and it actually um, it caused the team to collapse internally because they had, they, had, they had too many riders to be able to realistically fund all three of them and give them a chance. And, you know, Hickman was the big victim and all that. He ended up getting booted out and they stole Luke Mossy instead. And, it, and that all came on top out front and... Uh, it, it, it ruined the team by running three bikes. And uh, if they ran two bikes, um, the extra costs would envy Augusta be this good still, um, which, again, is kind of punching up its weight in the first place. So, but, yeah, like like the one-bike setup probably makes Cameo look better. Um, it saves money for MV Augusta because they don't need to run a second bike because the manufacturers only works out on one bike. So, basically, it's a wasted resource even having a second rider. So, yeah, it works for them. They're a small team, and Camia is a great rider. You're probably not going to be able to get anybody better than him for that role in the first place. And yeah, like again, the the the, the structure of the manufacturers championship means that you know MV can save money and it still be effective. Absolutely. Uh, next to the manufacturers, uh, and we are going to struggle badly to say anything positive here. I'm afraid it's Honda. Uh, now, for, for for each of these manufacturer teams, uh, I'm going to give you their points difference from last year to this year um now the question here dre isn't whether it's up or down it's how far down um do you want to hazard a guess of where honda are at from this year to last year oh if i had to guess i mean honda's got 81 points this year well that's in the manufacturers in the team's championship they're on 106 that's the combination of all of their riders so far right God, so that I reckon they're at least minus fifty compared to where they were last year. Because at least last year they they still had, you know, like didn't they still have Ginters last season? They, Actually, they, they had Hayden and Vandermark this time last yeah, year. Yeah, that was yeah. a good team. They, yeah. When they like fourth and fifth in the championship, yeah, they, they they won a race through Hayden in Sepang. from last year. I'm, I'm basing this on teams championship, which basically means every point scored by that team counts. Um, Honda are two hundred and three points down from last year to this year at this stage last year they were on 309 points combination of Vandermark and Hayden because they'd won a race uh, at Sepang this year they're on 106 um, between Hayden Braddle and Gagne who's scored a couple last weekend now of course of course there are mitigating circumstances here for Honda Um, and and this is a team before we talk about their um, shortcomings as a team uh, this is a team that off the track has been through the ringer this year with losing their their star name and a, and a beloved rider around the world, a beloved person around the world, Nicky Hayden. No team can really be expected to function at their best having gone through that. No, of course not. And they were, they were always going to struggle, especially with the tragic circumstances of Nicky Hayden. Um, I mean, you factor in the, the, the death of Nicky, um, the, the fact that the bike was not ready to go for pre-season testing, the fact that they had to homologate it at the last minute, they had pretty much no pre-season running at all. Like, practicing Philip Island was basically the first real run out of the bike, and they've had to claw and scratch their way upwards since then. Um, it's a shame because, like, I think you mentioned it off the air, and I think you made a very good point when you said the team lacks leadership and I think it lacks direction right now. And Nicky was getting good results on that bike, better results than Bradle was before his passing. Um, he'd cracked the top 10 on, on, on three separate occasions beforehand. And 
it's a shame. It's a real shame because on the domestic front, they are doing a lot better. Like Jason Hadaran has had has had great work on that fire blade by getting it into the podium, into podium contention right or right halfway through the season now in the domestic series. But on the on the world stage, they are still way off where they even were last season. Let alone challenging Kawasaki and Ducati, and it's a real shame because it's not made Bradle look good. Bradle's looked looked mediocre at best out there. Um, Hayden has tried and, and, and you know not really gotten much out of the bike as a result, and um, I don't know where to go from here. I mean, they're talking about Tito Rabat next year, but like, is Rabat going to be any better? Um, because if Brad was your walking proof of a, a really good MotoGP rider who's gone to Worlds and it's not worked out, hmm. Rabat. I think by common consensus, he's better than Rabat. Yeah, on, on, on MotoGP form book alone, he was better than Rabat. And then Rabat's body of work in the top class has been forgettable, to say the least. So. Both Moto2 champions. And, and yeah, I, I, I just don't see Rabat as an upgrade, I'm afraid. Because Bradle, it seems pretty clear that the team are losing patience with Bradle. Um, because as we mentioned earlier on, he only just out-qualified uh, a debutant uh, in Jake Gagne last weekend. So this is a team, as I said off the air, this is a team that I think Nicky Hayden wouldn't have wanted to fill this role as the development rider who will lead development on that team, but he certainly would have filled that role because that's what he's good at. Um, you know, That's not why he joined that team. As we say, he joined that team to be a winner uh, in World Superbikes and he wouldn't, he wouldn't have wanted to sit around for a year waiting for this bike to develop. Um, and, was not. And... As you say, they that's what the BSB team has done. It's got stronger as the year's gone on. And we said this at the start of the year. And I'm pretty sure Greg Haynes said it when he joined us. He said, this is a team that hopefully by mid-season will start getting some results. This is a team that will get better as the year goes on, as they learn the bike and develop it. And that's probably the biggest, biggest criticism we can level at this team. They haven't. No, there's been no improvement. You look at the results that Bradle's had. He's been, he's been the consistent rider they've had all season long so far. They started for inside of the points. Yeah, they're no and better they, than they were in February. Yeah, again, Laguna Seca, two 11th places. They've not improved at all. They are still pretty much where they were all season long. And like it says a lot that Bradle's in a sandwich between Mercado, who missed the first two weekends of the year, and Savadori, who had has got who had a blank spot of basically three races he didn't start either and yet they're right next to him in the championship and the way those guys are riding right now they're probably going to surpass um Bradl in the not too distant future because they're on better machinery right now the Aprilias are better than the Hondas right now um although their season's been equally disappointing I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute but well Honda yeah. are bottom of the manufacturer's championship uh, at the moment which um is, um, is a damning damning of where they are yeah, and they're up yeah, against no. they're up against one manufacturer that only has one ride for goodness sake um, in, in Leon Camia. So so that's where Honda are at bottom of the manufacturers championship on eighty one points, eighteen behind MV Augusta and their sold wide effort. Um, but as I say, in the teams championship, they have a hundred and six points, which is two hundred and three lower than they had at this stage uh, last season, which is which is astonishing. Um, on to BMW then, which don't have a factory team, but they do have um, a team that has won World Superbike Championships before <laughs> running their bikes, Altea with Jordi Torres. Um, now, they are 62 points down uh, on last year. Um, they've had a similar kind of year to last year with, with regards to their second bike in that Reiterberger, it was around this stage last season where Reiterberger got his injury at Mazzano and De Rosa had to come in and replace him. Um, Reiterberger only did the first couple of rounds this year before De Rosa replaced him again um, due to the injuries that were still carrying on from Mizano. Um 
But as I say, Drake, they're 62 points down, but we can kind of explain that away in the fact that the team, mainly through Torres, have had six more DNFs than they had last year, which accounts for those 62 points pretty much. So they're kind of, in terms of competitiveness, they're around about where they are last season. They're just not converting this pace into points. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, and I think that's about right. Torres has, you know, had you know, you know, bike problems. To be fair, it's not all been Jordi Torres's fault in terms of um, reliability. I mean, he's had he had he had the stalled grid start. I, I think it was at uh, Imola race one where the, the bike couldn't get off the line properly, and that was a DNF. He had you know the electrical DNF that cost him most likely a second place at Misano. Um, which would have been a real nice uh, feather in the cap for BMW to take away from a season in you know, Altea, who, you know, have not had a prominent top tier rider since Carlos Checker. And yeah, I think you're about right. I think, yeah, the, the DNFs have, have meant a lot. And in all fairness to Rafael de Rosa, if you look at Re Reiterberger's results, and yeah, he was riding her, like, de Rosa's about the same. It's not all that different compared to what Reiterberger was doing. So. He's he's done a decent job. With, 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 he's gotten better as the year has gone on. Definitely, I mean, a few top tens in there as well, including seventh at Masano in race two. That was a very nice result for him there um, on on home soil. But um, yeah, like I think BMW and the Altea team have had an unreliable bike. That's definitely not helped. Torres has overridden it on a couple of occasions, which again I think is the nature more of. The fact that the team is just not where they want to be right now, and BMW is not really throwing them a bone; they're just giving them the bikes and saying, "Here, have at it," basically, yeah. and that doesn't help. Especially when Yamaha, who was you know in their sights as a potential target, have gotten a lot better this season. It's kind of left BMW by the wayside, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a team that's probably that probably missed their big opportunity race two um, at Mizano, where Torres would probably have finished second that day. Um, had he not hit problems, uh, I think he had a puncture, didn't he, towards the end of that race, which which forced, forced him down, forced him out of the race when the Kawasaki's of Brian Sykes weren't really chasing him down like we expected them to, um, and they didn't get the result that they really deserved uh, that day. Um, next to the manufacturers then is Aprilia. Now, it's been a little more difficult to try and make some sort of comparison with Aprilia because, of course, it's a different team running their bikes. Um, their factory bikes this season. Um, now, I can't compare Milwaukee to Milwaukee because, of course, last year they ran BMWs. This year they're running Aprilias. So what I've done is I've compared last year's IOTA Aprilia team, uh, which is effectively was the lead Aprilia team last year, to this year's Milwaukee Aprilia team. Um, now, they are seven points better off this year uh, than they were last year. Mm -hmm. but, but given how sort of negatively we look at the IOTA project and the IOTA team as a whole... And given the fact that they've brought in a stellar rider in Eugene Laverty, um, a seven-point gain from last year, wouldn't you have expected the Milwaukee team and Eugene Laverty to have made a bit more of an impact than that? I think they've been disappointing this year. I think, like, Eugene Laverty has been decent. He's in the bottom end of the top ten. And, he's again, he's been in around eighth or ninth place for most of the season, occasionally a little bit better. He's had a few top sixes in there but I Milwaukee it's like I'm starting to associate them with disappointment because they were awful on the BMWs last year and yeah. like they, they were way behind where even the Altea team was on the BMWs last year with Jordi Torres and Marcus Reiterberger and I thought well that was the big up and coming team of 2016 and they obviously they've struggled so you thought you'd think on the face of it Aprilia 
would, would capitalise on this. But as you can see in the standings, Lamptey's behind Torres. And Savadori, who was Rookie of the Year last year, I thought, yeah, you thought you put together a very impressive rookie season last year. He's not really been able to kick on from that this year. He's down at the bottom end of the point standings in terms of championship position, just yeah, ahead Savador of Trimina. Savadori's 14th. Now, he did, he did miss uh, the Aragon round after the uh, crash he had, the ejector seat crash he had at Thailand where Oof. he injured himself. Julian Simon had to replace him there. Um, but I guess is the worst, almost the worst reflection of the Milwaukee Aprilia factory team is that it's not been a rare occurrence this season. We've seen it on more than one occasion that they've been shown up by Mikado on their Iota bike. Yes, and that is not good. Like, Mikado, it, he didn't race in the first two weekends, and he's only got 33 points less than Laverty does. If Mikado plays from the start of the season, there's half a chance he'd be right behind Laverty in the standings, and that's not where Milwaukee... Like, do Milwaukee want to be the second-best dudes on a bike again this season? Yeah, it like would the, whole not reason, the whole reason Milwaukee are running that bike is because Aprilia wanted a better team than Iota, and Iota looked, looked in danger of beating them with Mikado, which is... Uh, yeah, and they had a really good rider. They brought they brought in frigging Eugene Laverty, who yeah. was really good in MotoGP last year. Was it was in the top 10 a Multiple lot. race winner in World Superbike. <laughs> Yes, and you got a, a, a top-tier level rider and a proven race-winning level rider in Worlds before. But, yeah, it's 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 been disappointing. I expected more from a prettier this season. Yeah. And their best result all season long has been a couple of fifth places. And that's a shame. Again, I think Yamaha showing improvement, has, I think, has made a prettier look a little bit worse than what they are. But I did not expect Eugene Laverty to be up to be behind Jordi Torres and Leon Camier in the championship. That's not good. No, the very fact that they at one stage were experimenting with 2013 parts um, early in the season kind of tells you where they're at. It's a team that's almost lost and it's trying to sort of rediscover what made their bikes great a few years ago. 2013, of course, was the last time Eugene Laverty was on that Aprilia um, in World Superbikes and finished third in the championship. Um, back that year, the year that Sykes won the title um, ahead of Gintoli. Uh, and that team has really been on a bit of a decline, or that man manufacturer's been on a, de on a decline since then. It's been a bad year all told for Pulley Rasnick, because of course their MotoGP team's in a bit of a mess, um, mm. making bad news every weekend it goes with its treatment of its rider. Um, so it's you, you're struggling to find good news for Aprilia any way you look at the moment. A bit different if you're Yamaha. Uh, now, they are the big winners, if you like. If you look at comparisons year on year, um, in the team's championship with their riders, they are 116 points better off this mm. year uh, than last year. Now, before um, any of the uh, Still With Ginters uh, parade chime in, um, that, is not, that is not purely because they've swapped Gintoli for Vandermark. Even I will admit that. Um, there's a bit more to it than that. Um, the bike is significantly better. And um, this is, without being too negative, I suppose, is this kind of the level we expected them to be at last year? Yes. I've, I've, uh, like, and to be honest, we, we were thinking bigger for them last year. If we're being yeah, we're honest with ourselves, wins. we expected wins and maybe an outside chance of the championship. And last year was a dumpster fire disaster of a season for not entirely Yamaha's fault, of course. Um, some awful luck with injuries and just a bike that just didn't perform outside of the opening weekend at Phillip Island. One that just, you know, was instead of thinking about wins and podiums was more like, can we get in the top eight? Mm -hmm. And you're right. This, the bike is is genuinely better than it was last year. It's significantly 
a better bike than it was last season. And Yamaha, I'm glad that you know they are in a good position. I wouldn't say they're in a great position. Um, I, I still think this team could be batting a bit higher than what it is. Um, and don't get me wrong, Alex Lowe's, I think, has finally had a really good season after years of just being the hype. Um, so to speak, it's like Alex Lowe's, I think, has finally justified why he's in World Bikes. He's had a... I can't believe I'm saying this. I, I was bet- say, never a shortage of Alex Lowe's hype on this show. No. Um, and yeah, I think Lowe's has genuinely been great this season. He's, he's taken that bike to places where it probably didn't deserve um, to get on the podium at Donington to do it again at Masana where he finished a career high second. Um, like Lowe's has been very, very good this season. And I think he's finally had a hype justified season. And, and that was important for him because he, again, they brought in Michael Vandermark this year to replace Sylvain Gintoli. And, you know, that Vandermark was the young pretender. He was the guy that we all thought could be the future of the sport, um, in at least in that division. And Van der Mark's been has just not been as good this season. Not really. Um, you know, let let the side down at Assen a little bit again as well. I mean, that's the M, it's the MVDM signature round at this point. And yeah. again, not didn't quite put it together on that one either. But yeah, Lowe's has been has been great. I think Van der Mark's been good. And again, Van der Mark probably deserves a little bit better. He's he's been on the unlucky side of a lot of things like the DNA. Like Could have won at Mizano. Yeah, uh, like the the the, the rear tire at Masano, the electrical failure before the restart in race two at, at Thailand as well was uh, was a couple of big DNFs in there. And Lowe's has been the guy that still chucked it on occasion. So I feel a bit sorry for Van der Waal that he's 19 points behind his teammate because that probably isn't a true or fair reflection on on the state of play for their seasons. Because I think Lowe's still has a take a case of the dropsies. In some cases, and Van der Mark's not really had that outside of race one Alassen. and and again, he was robbed of probably at least a podium in race one at Misano. On top of that, but yeah, this is definitely an improvement for Yamaha. I think the bike is genuinely better. I still think they could be batting a bit better than what they've got for what it's worth. I just think that you know it's 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 slow progress but now the big hurdle is going to be here's that how do they break into the top two and that's going to be the problem mm, yeah and you, you're right to mention alex lowe's because we, we we did say this at the start of the year this was probably the big head-to-head we were all looking forward to seeing lowe's versus van der mark and two very exciting talents with two um growing reputations although alex lowe's is perhaps maybe stagnated a bit um, with the last couple of years, and we kind of thought that both riders were going to struggle to come through the year with their reputations intact, because one was going to have to beat the other um, over the course of the year. And to Alex Lowe's credit, as you say, he has stepped up, hasn't he? Not only kept his reputation intact, perhaps even enhanced it ever so slightly. Yeah, like I said, this was the season that Alex Lowe's had been waiting for. I mean, this is a guy that you know had a lot of faith put into him from a lot of good people, Crescent Racing in particular, had always stood by their man. And, you know, Suzuki was was not the right fit for him. They were always playing catch-up in that regards. And Lowe struggled. So I was sitting here questioning, going, well, okay, you've give, you, you've got these new Yamaha R1s to play with. You, you know, you could have taken Josh Brooks instead of him. And I don't think anybody would have complained if it was Brooks instead of Lowe's, given that Brooks had just won the domestic title um, in Britain. And, you know, they went with Lowe's and Ginters instead. And obviously, Ginters being a former world champion, it was a good team, but Lowe's didn't really stand out last season. Ginters, I think, had just as many decent results as him. 
and the injuries kind of curtailed the whole season of the whole thing on a kibosh. But um, this year, yeah, Lowe's, I think, has genuinely been great. He is the best of the rest outside of the top four, and, and I think rightly so. He's, he's you know, 16 points better than Savi Flores has been on the satellite Ducati. And, yeah, a couple of really, you know, well, well hard-earned podiums. He's been a top-five runner for a lot of the time this season. And I think best of the rest is a fair summing up of Alex Lowe's this season. Because, I mean, he's done about as well as he could do, given the circumstances. And you can't ask much more than that, really. No, and if we're to pick out one race for him, uh, Donington Race 1 was arguably the race of his life, where he, he was almost punted into oblivion by Haslam at Turn 1. Um, yeah. sent to the back of the field and then came storming through with pace that basically 19th, was, to, third. 19th to third pace that was better than anybody with the exception of uh, Ray and Sykes up front before Ray's crash of course uh, I mean, took him out of proceedings yeah. uh, he was superb and the emotion came out of him didn't it after that podium with Marco Melandri basically going walkabout quite literally uh, with a corner to go on the final lap and, and the, the emotion poured out Alex Lowe's and I think all that all that we've said so far of basically his reputation and um, not really delivering and being almost being known as a crashing world superbikes for a couple of years. I think all of that built up into what we saw from Alex Lowe's after that podium. It was almost validation for everything that he'd been sort of pouring his heart into for the last three years. Yeah, that was retribution. I think it was for Alex Lowe's more than anything else because he could have this. Yeah, like, he can do it, and this like this this was the proof that Alex Lowe's is a great rider. That you know, I've not seen emotion that about Alex Lowe's since he won the domestic title in 2011, and like I like I even brother Ryan was watching it and he was like, wow, like that was a genuinely brilliant ride, and he's cynical against anything British <laughs> um, due to overregging the putting on coverage, so he hates anything British basically. So so for the fact that Lowe's. Uh, it come through from 19th to third, and even even brother Ryan was like, "Yeah, that was a tremendous ride from the kid." And you could see the tears come out of him when he when he got off the bike and on the podium, and you could see how much it meant to him. And yeah, I think you summed it up better than I did. I think the word validation certainly rung true there. Validation, I think, was a very fair term because yeah, it was the walking proof that it can be done, and he can do it, and he was always been capable of this. He's just been denied opportunity and just had bad circumstances let him down but the ability has, has always been there and this season has gone a long way to prove that mm, absolutely yamaha 116 points better off third in the team's points and um i think the point you made a moment ago is a good one the, the, the really the story with yamaha is what happens next um, with that team um they've really now they cannot allow this to just be a, almost a false dawn and just to drop back into the midfield again next year they have to make that step up now and, and perhaps make dawn a rethink any rule changes um for the future if yamaha could suddenly join that fight and make it three teams up the front next year um in world Superbikes, then perhaps there'll be a rethink and obviously we, we hope that honda develop the new fireblade as well and join the fight in the future um it's a big year next year for yamaha you'd expect them um, I've had to be amazed if they didn't retain both riders, Lowe's and Vandermark. Lowe's, sure. Lowe's has been the stronger of the two. Vandermark has the out of it being his first year with the team um, and would perhaps argue that with a year's experience on that team, he can then beat Lowe's next year. We will see. Um, and, of course, they're both riding for Yamaha at the eight hour in a few weeks. So, of course, if they go on and win that for the, the third year in a row, I think they're both pretty much safe. <laughs> with yeah, that team. So. Um, the, the factory will, uh, will always have them in their hearts. So, um, yeah, Yamaha's 
2017 has been a, a, a much needed improvement so far. Um, let's just see if they can finish it off. If they can maybe bag a few more podiums between now and the end of the year, I think they'll be happy with their lot for 2017. And of course, they'll be now looking into 2018 to become uh, regular front runners and winners uh, in World Superbikes. That will be the task for them uh, next year. On to the top two manufacturers then. And Ducati up next. Um, and we'll, we'll come on to Chaz Davies in a moment. Let's start with Melandri. Um, because the team, Dre, from last year to this year, are only six points up on last year. Um, now, Chaz Davies is, is 18 points down. Um, which obviously tells you that they're 24 points up with their second rider. So Michael Melandri has been a noticeable upgrade uh, on Davide Giuliano on that second bike. But has he been uh, enough of an upgrade uh, than you thought he would be? Oof, tough question. That's interesting maths you brought up there. To... I mean, he has won a race this year, which Giuliano yes. never did. Um, but we, we were kind of looking at this at the start of the season of, is Melandri going to be the kind of teammate that will help Davies in the championship? And he hasn't been. No, it's 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 the worst kind of limbo to be in. He's definitely better than Davide Giuliano has been, but he's not good enough to really help Chaz out to try and either win Chaz the championship or win Ducati the manufacturer's title, which they are still 66 points behind in right now. So, yeah, it's... <sighs> See, this is the problem that Ducati is going to have now. It's that they brought back Marco Melandri, who's won 20 World Superbike races now. And again, like a proven multiple-time race winner on multiple manufacturers. And Melandri is about as good as a guy they, they could have gotten. They can't really get anybody better than him. Yeah, now. who do That's you find who is noticeably better? Yeah, because Xavi Flores is a gamble. I'm not sure if you put him on the factory bike, he's going to suddenly become a race winner. And that's the problem, is that they can't really get... like They are, they are at the limits, really, of the talent wall. Unless maybe something drastic happens in MotoGP and one of their factory riders in the, in the GP class decides to move down and maybe... Or, well, I wouldn't say move down, but maybe take the side step over and see if they can help the Ducati factory team out. I mean, there's been talk about that with maybe Scott Redding, for, in, for instance, if that maybe could work out better. But yeah, it's. I mean, I'm looking. I'm looking at Melandri's results for this year so far, yeah. and 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 if you go through it race by race, um, in races where both Ducati riders, both factory Ducati riders, have finished, Melandri has only beaten Davies twice this year, um, and they were both in races where Davies had problems. Thailand race two, where Davies had a crash and had to start the restart towards the back. Um, and then the other race where we beat him was Donington race one, where Davies crashed and got back up um, and finished eighth. Um, so what that essentially tells us is that when Chance Davies has a trouble-free race, he beats Melandri every time. Um, and equally, Marco Melandri, let's be fair here, even at the stage of his career, as good as he's been this year, you can't really see him getting any better, can you, than he is now? No. Because he's he's in the twilight of his career, really. I mean, it's easy to forget that Marco is only 34, given that uh, a lot and has of what... been out of World Superbikes for a few years. Yeah, he's been out of he's been out of the sport for two years as well. And yeah, like like in in the context of Worlds, 34 actually isn't all that bad because we've seen Max Biaggi and Carlos Checa win world titles deep into their 30s. So. This isn't all that bad, but Marco is definitely an experienced veteran in, in, in the twilight of his career. I'll tell, really. tell you what I'd do. I'd call up Michele Pirro. <laughs> call put, up the policeman. Put Michele Pirro on that bike. Why not? Seriously, uh, put him on that bike. 
Why not? Like, like he's always been a good rider, and you know, like give the man the paycheck he deserves for all the hard work he's put in testing these Ducati bikes year on year out and filling in for for rent for injured riders and always picking up the pieces when Ducati's had difficult weekends. Yeah, sod it. Give McKinney give McKinney Pierre the policeman a chance and. Um, I'd, I'd be all for that, but yeah. you know, could, you, could you justify dropping Melandri for him? Because Melandri's yeah, not cool. bad. No, like, he's he's not... Yeah, that's, that's the thing. He's not had a bad season, but you kind of just wish he'd be that smidge better. Uh, it's like how much better? How much? Like if he was like, like if he was twenty points better, I'd be like, okay, you know what? That's fine. Maybe he's just not quite where Kawasaki is this season. But it's like he's. He's 24 points better than he was last... Than was, yeah. I'm just looking yes. back on last year. Did Giuliano miss races last year? I'm trying to have a look at this from last year. Did Giuliano, no, he didn't. He, he started... The only races he missed were late in the year, so we hadn't even reached that point yet. So, yeah, that is right. a genuine comparison. Giuliano, who ended last year seventh in the points for Ducati, um, Melandri is essentially a race win better off. Um, then uh, yeah, he's 24 points better off in the championship than Giuliano was at this corresponding stage last season. Um, but he's he's too far behind Chaz Davis to really offer him any assistance in the championship. Now, if we move on to Chaz, um, Chaz, you could argue, hasn't really offered himself enough assistance to win the World Superbike Championship because um, I, I've looked at the recent years for all of the big three, if you like, in World Superbikes, um, Davies and the two Kawasaki riders. Uh, and we'll start with Davies, um, who is... Uh, 18 points worse off than last year, um, 13 points better off than two years prior. Um, now, 2015, he had 213 points at this stage of the season with one win, 10 podiums, two DNFs. 2016, 244 points with four wins, nine podiums, two DNFs. This year, 226 points, four wins, 10 podiums, three DNFs, and a did not start, which was as a result of the crash he had the day before in Mizano, and he's 115 points off the lead. Um, now, those three seasons are all fairly similar, um, which yeah. leads me to think that this is a guy who I don't want to sound too damning here, just is not going to change. Is that is that the kind of the thing we're talking about here with Chaz Davies? He's he's basically we're, told, we're telling the same stories as we told last year and the year before of a guy who has the pace who can win multiple rounds in a season, but just cannot see the checker flag often enough, and you kind of worry whether Chaz is at the point now where this is basically Chaz. This is what he's going to be like, and this isn't going to change. Yeah, I think he said. I think he said what I was about to say. I think this is just who Chaz Davis is. Yeah. I think this. I think this. I think this is the limit. I, I, I don't think he's capable of much more. I mean, he's had. It's a shame because we interviewed Chaz at the start of the season, and he said anything less than the championship would be considered a disappointment. He's a hundred and fifteen points off, and like it's a shame because not only like Jonathan has just been utterly incredible this year and we'll get to that in a minute and we all know the story where that's concerned but like you said he has the one DNS in there but on form he's about that was a, that was a result of a, a crash the day before yeah and there are an incident that was ultimately Chaz's own doing really and that's that's the damnation of Chaz Davis he has the ability to win almost any given race on paper but he will always cough up a round or two via his own mistakes. And now I think, like, Chaz, I think, is the best part of 30 now. I'm going to have a quick look on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, he's 30 years old now. And, like, he's not a young, he's not a young man anymore. He's an established veteran in, in the context of bike racing. And I think this is just who he is. I really do. I think that, 
you know, he's going to win races. He's going to, you know, get the odd double win at a weekend here and there. I mean, we all saw what happened last season where he went on an absolute tear at the end of the season. Pretty much nine out of ten, he won. When he went in nine out of the final ten, and he could very easily do that again um, because Ducati has always been a, a bike that can win races, and Chaz is, has got uh, more. And they always they always give us that hope, don't they? By finishing so strong, we always think, oh, it might be different next year. Um, and it never is, because Kawasaki always come out of the box so strong at the start of the year. Um, yeah, you know what the difference is? Jonathan Ray's probably already won the title by then. Yeah, he's already too far up the road for them to catch him. And, and what's really been so crucial this year for Chaz, because it could have been different, um, but it's where these DNFs have come, not only where geographically, but where in where position in the race he's been. Because Aragon, race one, crashes, was leading the race, or was in, certainly at the worst going to finish second. Assen race one, granted not his fault, he was running second, the bike failed. Mizano race one, three corners from home, he's leading it. And of course, Mizano race two, he doesn't start because of the crash in Mizano race one. Um, so even if you give him a second place for all of those three races where he could have won but didn't and fell off, those are 60 points. The race he didn't start was won by his teammate, um, yeah. Marco Melandri, um, and he's 115 points down. Now, Marco, that lead could quite easily, or the gap between Ray and Davies, if Davies hadn't have had those crashes, that lead could quite easily be half of what it is now, if not smaller. Um, but as we say, Chaz just, these crashes just come at the worst possible moments for Chaz, and it just seems symptomatic of a rider that needs to, in almost Mark Marquez fashion, before he kind of curbed his enthusiasm a bit. Davis seems to have to ride on the absolute limited adhesion to get the best out of himself, and too often he ends up crossing it. Yeah, he he seems like the sort of rider that can't ride at ninety percent. It's either it's either one hundred and one or crash, and it's 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 a sort of style. That, I mean, it reminds me a lot of Marquez in twenty fifteen, a guy that great to he, watch. He won. Yeah, great to watch. He won five races that season, but he had six DNFs of his own doing. That was the problem. He was he was win it or bin it guy, and win it or bin it guy does not win championships. It it does not work. It has never worked in bike racing. Um, and Chaz Davis, I think, is still got a whiff of that guy about him. Where, yeah, you, you take the technical issue of Assen out of the way, he still had two damning crashes that has cost him big in this season. Again, Aragon cost him at least twenty points. Misano probably cost him at least thirty to thirty to fifty, something along that range, because he didn't he didn't start in race two as a result of a crash that he caused himself in race one. Of course, the injury wasn't was the unfortunate side of it, but if he keeps the bike up right, it's not an issue. So, yeah, it's. It is what it is with Chaz, unfortunately, and it's a shame because I think he's a great rider and a great talent who is capable of, of anything on a world superbike. But like I said, I think his style, I think, produces more problems than it really solves. Yeah, and I think it's it's almost... I feel sorry for him to a, to a point that Kawasaki and particularly Jonathan Ray are so good because if Kawasaki weren't the dominant force they were, Chaz probably wouldn't have to ride at, at, at 11 tenths to try and win a race because the, the main reason he has been pushing so hard and making these errors is because of the dominant force that is Jonathan Ray up ahead of him. Yeah, like Jonathan, that that is arguably the most dangerous thing about Jonathan Ray. He's forcing these dudes to ride at levels they just can't realistically maintain to, to have any chance of winning the championship. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it sucks. It's one of those things where 
Ugh, it's frustrating because you don't want to. I don't want to seem like I'm like I'm like I'm pissing on Chazzy because I'm know. not. He's, he is. He is. He is one of the well, without question. Um, and even I'll admit top, this top as a Tom Sykes fan. He is top two in world superbikes. The, the, the two premier riders, I think, by common consent, are Ray and Davies. Um, and you know, Tom Sykes isn't far behind them because he's he's a clear number two within his team. Um, so you know, put put Chaz Davies on that Kawasaki and we'd have an interesting battle. But. Um, that's likely not going to happen. He is much loved within Ducati. And remember a year ago when Chas Davis was making noises of, I want to put myself in the frame for a MotoGP ride down the road. Um, that's probably not going to happen now, not only because of perhaps his own mistakes in World Superbikes, but the, the performances of others in MotoGP, like Petrucci, who, uh, if anyone's first in line for a step up to the factory Ducati MotoGP team, it's Petrucci now, not Chas Davis. Yeah, and that's and that's what it's going to be now. Like Chaz, I think has single-handedly taken himself out of that equation, and it's a, it's a, it's a shame. Um, you've got to think the only way he was going to land the Ducati most GP spot was by winning the Superbike World Championship. Probably, it probably would have had to have come down to that, and unfortunately, it's it's just not going to work for him with, with Jonathan Ray in that seat. It's it probably just it's probably just one step too far for Chaz, and Chaz just I don't think I just don't think. I just don't think he's got enough in him to really give Jonathan a threat over all 13 weekends or 12 weekends of a World Superbike season. He'll, he'll have three or four like that, but he won't have the seven or eight needed to really give Jonathan Ray a fight. Yeah, because if he just if he just buttons it off ever so slightly to stop making those mistakes, he's probably not going to win as often, is he? Um, ultimately, yeah. over the course of the year. Which kind of is interesting, because that brings us to a guy who probably fits that description at the moment. Second in the championship, Tom Sykes, who um, isn't making any mistakes because he's, he's the only man to have scored points in every single round so far, all of which have been top sixes. Um, in the 16 races so far, he has had, uh, counting them up, 13 podiums from a possible 16 races, two of which were wins. Um, he's only two points shy of his all-time highest point score at this stage of a season. Yet, Dre... He trails the championship leader by 59 points. <laughs> Sometimes people, sport is a bitch. And, um, <laughs> and unfortunately, it is a bitch in the case of Tom Sykes. Because, like, as you said, like this is as good a season as Sykes has ever had. He's been ultra consistent. Like The only man to score points in every round. Only finished off the top four. Um, you know, on, then he finished off the podium three times all season. In his championship winning year, he was 42 points worse off than he is at this stage of this season. How is that possible? <laughs> and he'd won three more times. <laughs> that's the thing with, with with Tom Sykes, unfortunately. And as I say, that's why I, I, I think it's an interesting comparison to Chaz, because Chaz has done a lot more winning. Um, this year, he's won twice as many races as Sykes, um, but he's had too many DNFs. So Sykes is... May not Sykes is riding in such a way that he's not crashing, he's not making those mistakes. But unfortunately, he's not doing anywhere near enough winning to keep Tom Jonathan Ray in sight. Exactly, and that's that has been the horrible story of Sykes this season. Is that Sykes has been as good as he's ever been this season? Still, the undisputed king of Super Bowl. I think the you know you got to remember he's not particularly keen on the race two format and despite that he's still gotten good results or the current format of motorcycles the the technical changes for this season don't seem to suit him no and this is with a team that's still batting very very hard to give tom sykes every chance to beat jonathan ray we talked about it last year that kawasaki were on the fence as to whether to 
help Jonathan Ray, who had become, you know, shit hot all of a sudden and, you know, had pretty much hijacked Sykes' own team in terms of performances. Or do you, do, you, do you go with the established guy that's pretty much gotten you to this point? Do you dance with the one that brung you, basically? And it's getting harder to justify by the year to do that with, with Tom Sykes because Jonathan Ray is just the complete all-round package. And he's like again, Ray is actually probably even better than he was last year, given the, the qualifiers improved as well. And you know, he's he's starting races on the front row, if he, even if he wasn't so much last year. He's doing that now, where he's actually nullifying the advantages that Sykes had last year, because at least with Sykes, he would start the race and maybe a row in front. And this year, that's not happening either. So it's 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 awful for Sykes. Like I said, he he's been he's he's been his usual. Excellent self, and you know, an excellent qualifier, a solid race guy will not bin a bike 99 times out of 100. He will get your bike over the line, and he'll probably win you at least four or five rounds a season. But this year, it's just not enough. Like Jonathan Ray, as as it is right now, is impossible to beat. And I've never said that about a bike rider ever. But the way the the, the series is right perfection. Now, <laughs> yeah, don't. it's like like. Like, Jonathan Ray is practically perfect. I mean, you've had how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight weekends so far this season. So that's 16 races. That are 400 points. Jonathan Ray's got 341. Like, I make that about, I make that 85% of all the available points in the championship Jonathan Ray has gotten. And the ones he hasn't gotten really weren't his fault either. So the way it's going right now. It's like Jonathan Ray is practically unbeatable in in this current format, and that is sadly the reality of Tom Sykes. That someone's got to finish in second. It's it's a bit like Nico Rosberg in Formula One, where what do you do when the other guy on the other side of the garage is Lewis Hamilton? Yeah. Is one of the this is it, this is it for me because mathematically, uh, if not realistically, Tom Sykes could still <laughs> land up as this year's world champion um, because he's, yeah. because that consistency that he's put together has kept him just about in the argument. Um, but you kind of feel the only way he's going to win this championship is if Jonathan Ray has a series of bad luck, like mechanical problems, or he crashes somewhere, gets injured, and has to miss a weekend, and Sykes doubles up, takes 50 points off him, which will then lead Tom Sykes' championship to be placed with an asterisk next to it because of the luck that came with it. It's, it's that, that's it, coming from you. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, and that's, that's the kind of position he's in now. That's the only way I think he could win this championship is if Ray basically gives up some DNF somewhere, and Jonathan Ray shows no sign. Since he's been with Kawasaki, he has not suffered a single crash-induced retirement. The only ones where he's crashed out are because he's had problems with the bike. You know, he had a false neutral last year in Germany, which caused him to crash, and he had the tire off the rim in Donington this year. Those were his only crashes out of races on a Kawasaki, and they weren't his fault. So he's not a guy that... You know, he's a guy that has the best of Chaz Davies. He has the pace of him without the crashing. Um, and he has the consistency of, of Tom Sykes, yet he's slightly quicker. So he's got the strengths of both of his closest rivals without either of their weaknesses. Yeah, um, no drawbacks. Yeah, no drawbacks at all, which makes him so difficult um, to beat at the moment. And and yeah, as I say, Tom Sykes, again, because there's talk of... I mean, Tom Sykes had criticism last weekend um, from, albeit some mouthy keyboard warrior who criticised him on Twitter. Um, but again, ask the question... Who can you find in the world at the moment on a superbike who would do a better job on that Kawasaki than Tom Sykes, other than the guy who is doing a better job on the other bike? Nobody. No one. No one no. at all. 
Um, and, and as I say, if Tom Sykes had anyone else as a teammate, he'd probably be a, he'd probably be a three or four time world champion right now uh, on that bike. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a shame that we, you know, we, we can't really criticize a guy for being anything short of perfect, which is what Tom Sykes is. Jonathan Ray, though, as we mentioned, is practically perfect. Now, it's amazing we say this because he's actually, at this stage of the season, on his lowest points total as a Kawasaki rider, uh, huh? which, is, which is still pretty damn impressive. Um, in 2015, at this stage, he had 375 points. He'd only, he'd only dropped 25 all year. That was five second places and 11 wins out of 16 races. And he led by 133 points. Um, last year, <laughs> last year, yeah, that's not a, that's not a typo. He genuinely led by that much. Uh, last year, he had 343 points with seven wins, a 100% podium record, and a 66-point lead over Sykes. This year, 341 points, two less than last year, nine wins out of 16, 15 podiums. The only one he didn't get on the podium was, of course, Donington, where he fell off because his tie came off the rim. Um, this is a guy, Dre, who, you know, his points lead, relative to the last two years has shrunk if anything that's because the the rivals that are chasing him have closed the gap but nowhere near enough yeah like just like you said how do you beat perfection and when somebody figures that out let me know because he's 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 the blueprint like he's he's untouchable he's like statistically on merit, the eye test, no matter which spectrum you use, he's the man. And they're like, how, how do you beat him? I, I, I don't know. And that's just the, like, I, I don't know. Like, how, like, what situation would you have to throw at Jonathan Rafe to, for him to go, well, I can't win on this Kawasaki. He's flawless. There's no other way to describe it. Like, okay, he's not quite as good a qualifier. As, as Tom Sykes is, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no way like, the history of world superbikes practically has been. Yeah, like Sykes is one of the is probably the best superbike qualifier of the modern age, and it doesn't matter because Jonathan Ray's race pace and his race ability is so good. It doesn't matter where he qualifies after the time now, and the race two format he's adapted to the new race two format better than anybody else because his starts in race twos have been incredible yeah which is just just, again a sign of how great he is because that format was designed pretty much to trip him up yep and it hasn't it's actually made him better like that's 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 the most terrifying thing it's actually made him better at it because nobody is as aggressive off the line as he is and he's been able to make it work and that's why that's that's what makes them greats rather than just very good because the greats adapt quicker they 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 find the solutions to problems before the problems have even come up yeah there's there's no answer inside of me there's like he's like i said he's he's unbeatable in this current format he's just He's like he's the perfect cell of of bike riding. Like, how do you beat perfection? It's it's th- there's no hole in his game. Like his race pace is phenomenal. His qualifying is good enough to the point where it doesn't matter whether he's on pole or not. His race two restarts and his aggression is perfect. He's the best overtaker in the field. He's the most consistent front runner in the field. He's it's like watching peak Ronnie O'Sullivan play snooker where like he came back after a year, you know, and came back rejuvenated. And he was like, he made a, he made a mockery of the entire sport when he came back at the world. He's, he just curb stopped everybody. And it's like Jonathan Ray's gone to Kawasaki and just untapped all of the potential we saw in him. And he was at Honda. It's just, 
he's as good a bike rider as anyone on the planet right now. Then and the, he's made him he's made a mockery of two incredible riders underneath him. One of them being his own teammate and Chaz, who again, he freaking won eleven races last season and was nowhere near a title threat. And that that kind of says it all, really. That again, the the way this format is and the way the sport is calibrated right now, and even in a sport that is doing its absolute damnness to try and weaken him. He's still just as good as he always is, if not better. And yeah, he, it, it's terrifyingly good. There is no other way to describe it. He is, he is fantastic. <laughs> he, he is brilliant. And, and to, again, just to get inside the psyche of the guys that are trying to chase him, Tom Sykes speaking last weekend after that race two where Jonathan Ray basically just um, strangled him into submission uh, in that second race. Um, Tom Sykes um, said... Um, I spent a lot less time on the edge of the tyre whereas now I am not getting the best for myself in reference to the bike that he was on um, in his championship winning years it is disappointing because you are watching someone on the same bike as you have going away from you and you would like to do something extra but you can't uh, quite simply Tom Sykes just basically playing online saying look um, I would love to be keeping up with him but I frankly cannot do it um, obviously he'll be looking to change that before the end of this year and going into next year um, because you don't see either of those two going anywhere at the moment in World Superbikes it really is a dream team Kawasaki have got going on at the moment in World Superbikes with Ray and Sykes and they look well on course to win another hat-trick of riders, manufacturers and team championships uh, this season. Uh, as I say World Superbikes returns uh, in around six weeks time, 20th of August uh, 19th to 20th of August for races 1 and 2 from the Lausitz Ring in Germany um, but we'll find plenty to talk about between now and then. Told you we'd go two hours uh, on a show where we had absolutely <laughs> nothing to talk about from last weekend. Um, between now and next week, when we will hand out our MotoGP half-term report, they are on their summer break at the moment, and we'll hand out our half-term report for each and every ride on the MotoGP like Monster. <laughs> next week. Um, yeah, a full t- we're going full school teacher next week. Um, yes. we'll, uh, we'll see if uh, Headmistress James will join us again um, for that one. Um, between now and then, though, episode 95 of Motorsport 101 comes next week as we look back on the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. And King tells us all about his travels at the NYCE Prix. Dre, that's what's coming up next week, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, the New York City E Prix double header. Like, will Lucas Degrassi like take a sizable chunk out of Sebastian Buemi's championship because he will not be taking part this weekend? He was been blocked off by Toyota. This is a big, big chance for Lucas Degrassi to get back in the title race. So keep an eye out for him. Keep out, keep an eye out for uh, Formula Two champion Pierre Gasly. Um, filling in in his seat for him as a New York City E Prix coming up this weekend. Just don't tell King it's the first time there's been a rotor race in New York City, otherwise he will kill you. Um, so that, of course, and the British Grand Prix. And trust me, I will be the most insufferable podcasting bastard on oh. earth if Sebastian Vettel wins this weekend. I'm just warning you in advance, people. I will be unbearable if this happens. Um, I will, like, I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton will probably win, but you know, I'd like a dream, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, if, he, if he, Hamilton doesn't win this one, you better yeah. start believing. Yeah. So um, that, and actually, you got, got IndyCar in Toronto as well, so it's going to be a triple header this weekend. So a lot to talk about. Probably going to be another absolutely heaped motorsport one on so episode 95 next week <laughs> yeah more than enough to make up for the lack of any motorcycle racing this weekend um but as i say next week we will still have places to talk about because we will be bringing you our moto gp half term report and a look ahead to the party in the park at brands hatch the uh, summer round around the gp circuit um which is in a week's time um 
before then, uh, places you can find us, we're still very active on social medias throughout the week. On Twitter, <laughs> at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, if you want to find us on there, on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. On YouTube, which is probably where Dre will have his celebratory hangout if Vettel does the business on Sunday, youtube.com forward slash Snapples on me! 101. <laughs> Snapples on Dre. That'll be next week's episode title uh, for 95. Um, we're also, uh, our website is motorsport101.net. For now, you can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com forward slash motorsport 101. <laughs> Um, and if you want to back us financially on Patreon, um, we might need to because we might need to be looking for a new hosting platform for our podcasters uh, in the future. Um, okay. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. And if you do back us financially on there, uh, you will get these episodes earlier than everybody else. So get yourself over to Patreon uh, right now. Um, that's all we've got time for this week. Um, join us next week for episode 95 of Motorsport 101 and episode 22 of Bike Live, our MotoGP half-term report. But for now, um, we... Uh, bid you farewell as we look back on the first half of the world superbike season and the perfection of jonathan ray we will see you all for episode 22 next week bye for now Stay tuned for a special World Superbike Bulletin with our Alex Lowe's correspondent, Rebecca James. Hi guys, oh, I'm really sorry that I missed the show again, unfortunately, yeah, um, the pub was calling and I had to go to work. Um, I do really apologise that I've been so absent again so far this season, but I am trying to rectify this. I've moved pubs now, so I'm hoping that I can get back to coming on full-time once I've got my feet under the table there. Um, but as for the World Superbike season so far, I know that's what the guys have been talking about so far uh, tonight or that when you're listening to this show. Um, as you're probably aware, I've had a close eye on Alex Lowe. He's been doing pretty decent so far this season. I'm still on the high of when he got the podium just a few weeks ago. Um, and I'm going to ignore the slight slip-up that he's had at Laguna Seca, but I think in race two, if he didn't do that bad, actually, um, yes, I am going to make this all about Alex Lowe. And, um, <laughs> shock. <laughs> shock, shock horror. Um, but no, I think, you know, Alex has had, it's been a difficult season all year, you know, for everyone in the world, so riders, but I think Alex Lowe's is personally um he's really sort of coming into his own now and he's starting to make the r1 his own and he's starting to feel a a little bit more comfortable um as terms of the rest of the championships turning now it looks like jonathan ray is going to have it sealed again but my david's putting in a really good fight and um i'd like to say that it could go down to the wire but we'll have to wait and see on that one but i stand by the grounds that i've been saying for years now and i finally think i'm turning this one that World Superbike does provide some of the best racing in the world that you will see. Um, and Laguna Seca might not have been at the best advert for that, despite it being one of my favourite tracks. You've got that right. Um, it was still a pretty enjoyable race. It was still a pretty enjoyable race weekend, uh, depending on what side of the fence you sit on. Let's go!